This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast, a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we can produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and all other podcast platforms. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at podmania.co.uk. Let's do this. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pod Mania Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Goodwin, and I'm joined, as ever, by the Big C and Garth Jackson. Garth, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, had a nice Christmas, as much as you can in lockdown, and I'm all drugged up because of this lovely chest <laughs> infection, so be ready for some coughing and muting as we go. It's that's, what we've a really different el- that's a really different Elvis hmm? song, all drugged up, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, how are you? Fine. Um, just been installed. I, no, I feel so sorry for my poor computer because I installed GA5, which was like a day-long job. Like, started downloading it around this time last night and I only kept downloaded about an hour before we um, came on tonight, so... <laughs> That's your oh. post office internet, that. Um, well, actually, it, it downloaded it at a fair pace because it's a 100 gigabyte file. Um, but yeah, the post office internet isn't ideal. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have a nice Christmas, Garth? What did, you, what did Santa bring you? Santa brought me um, some Super Mario Brothers slippers. Uh, what else did I get? I can't remember. Some hot sauce, because I love hot shit. Um, A pretty cool Teen Wolf t-shirt. I did see that on Facebook. And and, uh, I also got a Simon Miller t-shirt. Yes. Friend of the show, Simon Miller. Friend of the show, Simon Miller. And um, it's the Flex Assist one. It's like the, the... it's like the Exorcist. Yeah. But it's the Flexorcist. Um, I love the fact that and... you thought you needed to explain that to Chris. Because <laughs> <laughs> it went like, all quiet like and it. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> you, know that, you know that really famous horror movie? <laughs> yes, um, I've, uh, I've, I've, seen, I've seen the clips. I saw the Simpsons just, reference. Like a Nintendo Switch. That's pretty much it. Um, I've had one for two years, got on my level. <laughs> Whoa. Um... <laughs> Chris, what did you have? Um, but very quickly, did I ever tell you about my friend? <laughs> right. So um, his mother was uh, um, immigrated here from Nigeria. And um, this is like one of my classmates who was telling it um, going up to Christmas last year. And um, she told him from a young age that Santa wasn't real. And he, he asked her why later on. Cause she's, and she said, it's because I'm not letting some white guy stealing up, steal all my credit. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I, I think, amazing. And what did I get? I got um, some DVDs. I got King Kong versus Godzilla, which is awful, but I love it. Is this the one from like, like 1940-something? 
like 1964, Amazing. I believe, and it's absolutely like there's just one bit right where it's like we believe Godzilla is a is from prehistoric times, and it, what's his source? A children's book. He just picks up like a children's book, and it's like as you can see, it's like no, 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 no. Also got anyway. I also got the Superman box set, which I haven't put in yet, but I am very excited about. Garth's told me to skip four, which means I'm definitely gonna watch four. Oh, no, that's um, fucking liquid dog shit. You like Batman versus Superman? Shut up. That was amazing. Uh, it's not amazing. Come, come <laughs> on. Um, and I, what did I, what's the other one I got? Oh, I got 2001: A Space Oddity, which is I'm mo- which is the one I'm most looking forward to because I've been wanting to watch that for months but couldn't find it anywhere. It is a head fuck. Um, to be fair, and I like headfucks. And I, long, I, I've yeah. Heard it's, I have heard it's long. I'm going to set aside some time with it. Crack, crack open a cold one. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> you think it's going nice. to be a good time? You think it's going to be a good time? Oh, well, it's a Stanley Kubrick it? film. It's a Stanley Kubrick film. There's no such thing as a good time watching a Stanley <laughs> Kubrick. Yeah. Like, um, Film Metal Jacket, The Shining, Clockwork Orange. These are all films created to hurt you. <laughs> Starts off as a good time and that... then just ends up being you questioning your life choices. Just yeah, crying. Just yeah, crying. Just like, oh. <laughs> just like the shining set and it's like a nice little landscape shot and then it gets to the end it's like, oh my god, oh my god, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> to be fair, the clockwork orange doesn't start out as a nice time. I'm pretty sure my starts out with a rape scene. So <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not yeah, it's a fucked up film. Like, and apparently he made that because he just wanted to prove that he won't like sell out after um, 2001 did so well. It's like, that's mm. insane. <laughs> like, you crazy fucking man. I love the what idea of him... You, Rob? Say again, sorry? What, what did, did Santa, Santa bring you? Bring you? Uh, what did Santa bring me? He bought me lots of nice things. Bought me a barbecue. Um, because we've what, always... A, said... an, actual, an actual barbecue? No, one of those computerized ones. Of course, an no, actual like, barbecue. <laughs> like, we keep planning barbecues up here, but then it rains. Well, you do live in the rainiest place in Britain, to be fair. Um, actually, I live in the sunniest place in Scotland. Sunny Dunny. The sunniest place in Scotland. Jesus. Yeah. It's kind of like mm-hmm. saying you're the most intelligent host in Podmania, but still. <laughs> wow. What else I got? I got some records. Um, I got Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, Come As You uh, Come As You Are, Never Mind by Nirvana, ACDC. Uh, got Zeppelin. Is, um, is Appetite the double gatefold one? It is. It With is. the red monster in the middle. It is indeed. Man, I, I used to have that poster when I was a kid. Oh, it's fucking great. It's one of the, I'd, I'd argue it's the greatest debut album of all time. Fight me. It's up there. Never mind, it's up there. Not technically a debut. Two counter arguments. Nah, uh, Bleach was the uh, Bleach, debut. Bleach, Bleach, Bleach was like an EP, though, wasn't it? It, it? it also wasn't great, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Short of... Uh, maybe will be well, but, 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 it wasn't... It wasn't well mixed at the very least. Yeah. yeah. There were some good songs on there. There was little nuggets there. About a boy. Uh, not about a boy. That's the film. About a girl. Yeah. Um, Negative Creep. Good song. That's my favourite Nirvana song. Negative Creep's a good song. Penny, Penny Royalty is one of mine. Penny Royalty is amazing. You can't be Heart Shaped um, Box for me. Heart Shaped Box is an absolute tune. I was going to say Neutro is actually my favourite Nirvana album. Not never mind. Nah. Mm. Not for me. <laughs> I like in Utero, don't pick. get me wrong. I, I... Mm-hmm. 
Nevermind is like a classic for a reason, though. It's just sort of, I think it got overplayed for me in school. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like appetite for destruction as well as like people see Guns N' Roses and it's like, oh, yes, yeah, sweet children. Mine's like, no, 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 no. Listen to the fucking album. You've got uh, fucking Rocket, Rocket Queen on there. Oh, Rocket. That's amazing. Night, I love Rocket Queen. Night Train. Oh. My Michelle. Mr. Oh, Brownstone. Oh. Mr. Mr. Brownstone's my favourite. Just, it's just literally it's one of those albums that you can listen to from start to finish it's such a good album for but although for your to counter argument your favorite debut one my favorite debut album ever is is the sit by the strokes perfect album it's all right it's good <laughs> Don't think you but can really Garth, compare Guns N' Roses to the Strokes, but okay. Garth is always every time I love something, he's just there going, "Eh, it's, it's fine, it's okay." I was, I, I was there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so was I. I was four, but I was there. <laughs> anyway, let's get this podcast on the road. So, as you've probably seen from the title, we are doing our end of year awards and our Hall of Fame inductions for 2020, all based, of course, <laughs> on your votes. But first, before we start this, we've got to start, unfortunately, with a little bit of sad news. Um, unfortunately, Luke Harper or Brody Lee or John Huber, to give him his uh, his actual name, um, passed away earlier on this week. Um, and it was an unbelievable shock to the wrestling community. Um, I don't think anyone outside his close family and friends knew he was even ill um, for them to read one night that he'd passed away was horrendous. It was a really, really jarring experience. And then on top of that, to read some of the incredible tributes, not just about him as an in-ring performer, even though you know they were all there, but to him as a person, as a friend, and most importantly, as a family man and as a father. This bloke was up there as one of the greatest people to lace up a pair of boots by the sounds of it. And I think the thing is as well, everyone has said the same things about him. It's not you know his closest friends saying it. It's people that only met him for you know, four or five days, you know, two or three matches, one match, people are saying the same thing about him, that he was the nicest, gentlest giant. You know, he'd give you constructive criticism, but he'd pick you up when you were down. He'd text people that he hadn't, you know, that they hadn't seen him for months, but he'd text just to check in to make sure they were okay. Mm. Just an absolutely incredible individual that has been taken far, far, far too soon. And in a year when we've lost Hannah Kimura, Howard Fink, Road Warrior Animal, and Pat Patterson, amongst a whole host of others, this really did top off what has been a fucking dreadful <laughs> year. And what? weirdly, this, alongside the Hannah Kimura one, but for different reasons, this one has hit me the hardest. One thing about Brody that you could always tell is how much he just loved wrestling. Like he was very clearly like always just on a high, but of what he was able to do. Like the biggest thing when he left with real in the year was I just want to wrestle. Like I will literally just take house show dates with no direction. Just let me, just let me do what I want to. Just let me do what I love because it's all he, it's clear. It's all he wanted to do. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I don't it's know. The, if... the the thing that I noticed as well is the tributes that came out were. 
normally when somebody in the wrestling business dies, you get the high profile people come out and say stuff, and then you get other people come out and say, "Yeah, he was." It's this is a sad loss. We're going to miss him. That's it. But on this one, everyone seems to come out with a story, or mm-hmm. they come out with a picture, or it's people who you haven't heard from in a long, long time, and you see, like Enzo Amore came out with a video where he burst into tears. And, Enzo Amore broke down, um, I was just going to say. Yeah, um, there's other people put stuff up. Um, <clears throat> you had... <clears throat> and even the referees coming out with all these ribs and the jokes and stuff that they had, some of them were absolutely, like, had us in tears what? laughing. What the- like, the one... Did you see the one where it was one of the refs where um, when he was Luke Harper, he would, he would always go to the corner and stare at the... And he put eat shit, Harper. Eat a dick. Eat a dick, Harper. And it's like you can see him cracking a smile as he's trying to see character. <laughs> and it's just like... And that one where um, Jericho posted it and it was um, he was really pissed off that he didn't have a T-shirt. In the merch, so they made some T-shirts for him and just said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Oh, yeah, and, and they had all the all roster. Yeah. <laughs> and that—that's the thing. It's like you can tell, like because he is who he was. They all sort of rallied. I mean, like, um, what do you call him? Like Austin. I was going to call him Austin Creed, but he, um, what do you they call him? He, yeah, he had his um, armband on with Brody on, and mm-hmm. the, he did the discus clothesline. And there was uh, people. People got really pissy about WWE not doing a big tribute, but it was like they did a tribute. They did a, a graphic, and they did. They mentioned it, and then all the wrestlers did a little tribute in their matches for him. Drew McIntyre um, did it at the start as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like let them do it, and we know we know how much how important it was. And it's just such a fucking shame. Like when you hear what they did, I mean. I wonder if AEW knew because they did that thing with Kenny Omega and his son, where they let him pin him after they'd finished sort of recording to win the title. So his son is technically the, the champion mm. um, because apparently that was all that Brody wanted. He just wanted to see his kid wrestle his first match. And it's like, when I was reading that and reading the tributes, I was just, as a dad, it was like fucking heartbreaking. Um, he's one year older than me. Now that fucking strikes fear in, in anybody, like knocking about that age. Of course it does. And it just seemed, and it seemed to come out of nowhere as well. Like he was wrestling the week before, well, a couple of weeks before, and then he had an ankle injury, which it's just fucking horrible. It's top year off, doesn't it? The fact that TNA last night, as we're recording, it's Wednesday, so AEW's amazing tribute, which I want to talk about in a minute. Um, hasn't aired yet, but TNA put that their show was in memory of Brody Lee. I mean, that mm-hmm. company, I mean, did Luke Harp have any... I mean, if he did, he had a cup of tea there. You know, he mm. had little to do with that company, but even companies who had nothing to do with him are putting out tributes. I mean, I, I know oh, the the tributes from people like Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman and Eric Rowan are yeah. just horrendous. That bit that Bray Wyatt... What did Bray Wyatt say? Uh, what am I supposed to do now? We were supposed to be seventy years old, running Wyatt's yeah. running Wyatt family spots in high school gymnasiums. What am I going to do now? And it was yeah. it was that moment that it was like, oh fuck, that's it's horrendous. And you know, Randy Orton, Randy Orton posted a, it was mammoth his tribute, and then the stuff that AEW 
have done for this man is tremendous. I mean, they've signed his eight-year-old son. He has been signed to an AEW contract so that he will be part of the roster when he's old enough. They are looking after his family, which is tremendous. Brody's son is booked the show tonight. That's insane. (laughs) I mean, they are really, really looking after him. But, yeah, it's... Did any of you watch the... um... It uh, been the elite put like a sort of best of out and had outtakes and stuff. No, I didn't see. And it, it was all the people from like the, the it was a few of the people from the Dark Order talking about it, and it was just fucking hilarious. Like when he would come in, because <laughs> all the being all the being the elite stuff was like no holds barred. So there was just swearing left, right, and center. And he would come in, just see him and go, fuck. And he'd smash somebody with like a roll of paper and they would sell it like they were getting hit with a chair. Um, and this was like an ongoing theme where he got this roll of paper over. But other people would get the paper and they were like, I've got it now. And they, they would hit somebody and it wouldn't do anything. And then he would just open his jacket and he'd have two rolls of paper. And like, oh shit, he's packing heat. It's like, just like, and all of this was just, they were just basically just fucking popping each other. And then there was a, they showed some bits where they were like, Whenever Brody was on screen, he was in character. He never, we would break out in laughs all the time. He wouldn't. But when he's off screen and he was behind you, we'd hear him giggling. And you can hear him on loads of the videos of the show. And he's just giggling his tits off. Um, And it's just like, just funny. It's just, <coughs> you can tell just the way people talk about him and the way people are not, even like most of the people who are talking about him aren't getting sad. They're sort of, Relish in telling the stories now, yeah, and um, it just—I think that—that's the measure of him. The fact that not many people have come out and said, like, he's an amazing wrestler, which is a given. He was really good. It's more his character that's come out, and it's—it's that's—it's like the say, like, there's so many douchebags in wrestling that when there's a good guy, they're the ones who seem to sort of fucking disappear far too soon. Mm, absolutely. Such a shame. I remember back at Wrestle, the build-up to WrestleMania 33, and Harper. I remember the uproar about Harper being in the main event in the Wyatt versus Randy Orton thing. Um, when it when Randy won the Royal Rumble, Bray won the title at Elimination Chamber, and then there was a brief moment where Randy said he wasn't going to use his Royal Rumble thing, and there was a number one contendership match between Harper and. AJ Styles, oh my yeah. god, the the support for Harper was unreal. Mm-hmm. People just wanted him desperately to get that push. And he he was tremendous in ring. He was so underrated in ring. But you're right, people are concentrating on these hilarious... I mean, just following Cesaro and Big E's mm. um, Twitters at the moment, I don't know, it was one of those two that have put how Brody was in like a constant sort of beef with the uh, women's division and how he sent a picture of the suit he wore for one of the uh, Dark Order segments and the suit that Sonya Deville wore when and they were the same suit and he just put who wore it better or something like that. It was just, it was amazing. And he's not even part of that company anymore, but he was just, he was so friendly with people. He texts Jey Uso after his match with Roman Reigns, just putting, that was fucking great. Just little stuff like that. He was, by all accounts, the consummate gentleman, a consummate individual, and just the world's greatest father, the 
father we all aspire to be. Um, we are going to do a Brody Lee tribute next week where all of the matches we pick for our watch along are going to be either Luke Harper or Brody Lee matches. So please tune in, check those out where we honor the life of a man taken far, far, far too soon. Um, Chris, have you got anything to add? Um, <laughs> it's, um, no, well, yeah, you kind of said it all, really. Again, this passion just always shone. For, like, even when he's putting shit angles, he, clear, he was never not trying. Hmm. And, like, as a wrestling fan, that's something you need to admire when it comes along, because you can't say that for everyone. Absolutely. I guarantee, like, ev- everyone's favourite in this room at some point didn't try, but, like, he was always trying, so. Mm. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, John Huber. Really taken far too soon, and the last thing really to say is, it is Wednesday, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Let's look then ahead to our end of year awards. Months ago, we put out a poll, um, a ballot, if you will, for our end of year awards. The same seven categories that there have been for the last three years. We've been doing this for three years now, which is quite scary. Um, Wrestler of the year, match of the year, show of the year, tag team of the year, breakout star of the year, disappointment of the year, and then the feud of the year we have collated all of your responses and we have the results here for you now so what we'll do is we'll go round like a round table basically and for each category we will give our top three picks and then we will announce the winners as voted for by the pod maniacs or the pod mania public whatever you would like to be called so we'll start with the Podmania Wrestler of the Year 2020. And Chris, let's start with you. What's your top three look like for 2020? Okay, so in terms of what is there, um, number three um, has to be John Markley. His title reign this year was, I don't want to say amazing, but like it was as solid as you can have for COVID era wrestling. And at the same time, all of his defenses were different. Like you had that death match ready Kingston, which fucks so hard. A great <laughs> baby face. <laughs> why, why are you laughing at that? I say Just, it all the. T- I say know. it all the time. I literally say it all the time. Um, you had the Brody Lee match, which felt like this attitude era style main event. You had the Darby Allen match, which was an amazing. Um, underdog performance. I mean, you have a Jake Hager match, which sucked. Um, so bad. It was so it bad. It was really, really bad. Um, so yeah, I like, and beyond that, Off Night Tags are great. His promo work is on point. In terms of like American wrestling, I don't think I've enjoyed anyone more who isn't named Eddie Kingston, but I understand why he's not on this. He only really showed up in what we consider to be mainstream early in the year. So yeah. And then number two, Shingo. He he is for one thing I've been interested in. Him and Minoru Suzuki have been the only thing in New Japan that's really kept me going until the point where I quit. <laughs> um, even like Ishii, I was starting. To, I, I've got. And I know he's on this list, but I got so bored of Ishii come the end of the year. I'm sick of him. I'm just sick of Ishii. Wow. Um, <laughs> and Shingo had mm. um, Ishii's second best match. 
Mm. The best being the Suzuki match. Um, and then number one is May is Mayu Watani. That her title reign this year has been the best title reign anywhere. Only anywhere closely followed by like Goji Izaki. But like May's title reign, her matches with like Shiri and um, Jungle, Takumi Aroha, who, who apparently I've been saying her name wrong all year. That was embarrassing. Um, <laughs> Utami. Utami, Momo. Um, and even like the stuff she's doing right now with Tam, it's all just been great stuff. She hasn't really put a foot wrong. Like the only match I'd say is remotely bad, and it's not even bad, it's just sort of underwhelming, is the Saki Kashima match. And that's just because. It nothing happened apart from May fell down every single step of Corrick and Hall. That was that was entertaining. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just if you haven't checked out Stardom, just start with like all of her title matches, and you'll probably be into it. Actually, just pick any of her title matches, and you'll be into it. Absolutely, uh, Garth. Who are you picking in your top three of wrestler of the year? <sighs> top three tough because twenty twenty has been quite a tough year for me to actually watch wrestling. Um. Time-wise, and the COVID stuff just felt weird to watch. Yeah, no, I agree completely with that. If you think that's weird, watch Vegeta versus Goji Izaki. Wow, what happened? Um, they st- was that the empty stadium thing? The, no, the match is an hour long, and they stared at each other for half an hour of it. Like, oh, just like... And nah, then... like in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> people are calling it match of the year. I don't agree with them, but people are calling it match of the year. People are idiots. Um... <laughs> So third, I would I would agree with Chris John Moxie, um, because he's felt the lead up to his matches have felt like big. They've felt like you have some investment. The stories are good. He's quite he's a captivating character, and is more like he hasn't had bad matches. He has good matches, and um, yeah, like the like the death matches and stuff that that Eddie Kingston was good. Yeah, just. Like a, a solid, solid sort of time watching um, from well, from what I've, from what I've been able to watch. Um, so he's number three. Actually, it was sort of interchangeable between these two at the top. Um, but I thought Daniel Bryan had a really good year from what I saw because he he seemed to be managed to get anybody over, literally anybody. He could get a good match out of fucking oh, anyone. He did. Um. He did. Um, his run on SmackDown running with mid-carders was fucking... That's crazy. what I mean. Even even random... Like, I put in one of my matches of the year, one of the... Um, spoiler. Just a random SmackDown match with AJ Styles. It was fucking amazing. Um, so Daniel Bryan just proved and continues to prove that he is probably the best all-round worker in WWE, yet never gets a fucking shot, Harley. And top of the bill was somebody who has just improved massively the last couple of years and got his shot that he deserves, and I would say Drew. Mm. Um, class Royal Rumble. That Royal Rumble finish was amazing. Like That wouldn't have felt as good had it not had the crowd, because the crowd went absolutely fucking mental, um, especially after the pretty much shot the load when Edge came out. Um, him getting that win... Then getting the title at Mania, where he absolutely just pummeled like Brock, which was like amazing. And then he he got good matches out of Randy Orton, um, and his again his, his promos and all that sort of stuff's been like top notch, like really good. Um, and the stuff that I've been like I've been watching like interviews and stuff with him, he just seems like 
totally mellowed out guy now. He's doing loads of stuff, sort of charity wise and stuff. But overall, I think he's had like a really, really good year. Um, and I hope he keeps it into crowds going back because he deserves that big pop. So yeah, going with Drew. Hard to disagree with you, to be honest. Um, so I've gone number three, um, Tetsu Unito. Um My reasoning is in the G1 Climax, which is notoriously one of, if not the most grueling tournament in wrestling, he carried the B block. And by carried the B block... And Yoshihashi. <laughs> and Yoshihashi. No, to be fair, Yoshihashi, definitely. But Tetsuya Naito was asked night after night after night to top that B block to wrestle a 20-plus minute match and to drag them to what was their best match of the night. And the only match that I would say shot a blank was the Hiroki Goto match, which just it went a bit too long. But that man, in an era where, let's face it, New Japan is in a bit of flux, he has consistently... And when you put him with people like the the whole evil thing, which, let's face it, is a crock of shit. Um, you know, Naito has come through that, and I think, you know, he's done tremendously well for that. So he's uh, number three. Uh, Drew's number two. Uh, for every reason Garth outlined, um, every single one of his title defences have felt huge, even his one with Ziggler at um, Extreme Rules. He put on a tremendous match with Bobby Lashley before they rubbed some Lana on it and it got worse. Um he's had fantastic when that happened. <laughs> that relatable feeling, everything's going well and then Lana. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he had a tremendous match with uh, Roman Reigns. Um and yeah, he's managed to have fantastic matches with Randy Orton. Um the only thing is it's such a shame that this first title reign or this title reign, the two title reigns over the year haven't been in front of live crowds because, let's face it, yeah. the bloke deserves that. He's come back, he's charismatic, he's great in the ring. I mean, I don't know if either of you watched any of TLC. His TLC match, match, yeah, his match with AJ was fantastic. It was great, wasn't it? Even yeah. though they tried to overbook it, even with the whole Miz cashing in and failing, that didn't take away from what a fantastic match it was. And I think the only reason people aren't talking about that match more is because the Roman versus Kevin Owens match was fucking incredible. And then, obviously, Bray Wyatt got set on fire. Um, (laughs) How the fuck do you follow that? Um, Mm -hmm. And then, number one, smarky choice, but then again, I do do a stardom podcast. Um, Mayu Iwatani. She's my favourite wrestler, full stop. Um, She's not only put on match of the year after match of the year after match of the year in all the tile defences but she has made everyone look good um, during the five star which for those who listen and don't know what stardom is is effectively stardom's G1 Climax big round robin tournament she gave every single person their best match in her block she made everyone look amazing people like Himika, people like um, who else did she Starlight Kid, Go and Death, Sire <laughs> She gave them all fantastic matches. Um, to be fair to like Himika and like Sire, they were having good five stars like for their experience level. Beyond that, like their best match is probably against each other. But like then Mayu came along and made them look like fucking stars. So exactly the fact that she bumps to the point where people are genuinely worried about that poor girl's neck. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, but- have you seen the um, gif of B Priestley accidentally dropping her during a Hurricane Rana? 
Nice. No, not nice. Don't go nice. It is. Because it was from the top rope. Like, from the top rope, she, like, slipped. And, like, she landed from her neck from, like, the top rope. It was disgusting. It is. It is vile. Um, But, yeah, she's number one. Because, honestly, if I did a top ten matches of the year, I would argue that Mayu's would be three of the top five. So, yeah. Um, I I did. And I had to limit her. Because of her... And um, Goji Izaki, I had to limit um, my match of year list to three entries for each person because otherwise it would be all me. She's that fucking good. Anyway, enough of us talking shit. Let's get on to the public. So the public vote in third place with 9.68% of the votes was Tetsuya Naito. Uh, in second place, with 16.13% of the votes, was your former AEW world champion, John Moxley. And top of the pile, with a thunderous 32.26% of the vote, winning in an absolute landslide, it is Drew McIntyre. And I think all three of us can agree that's that's pretty well deserved. Scottish yeah. made. <laughs> mm. Scotland um, so yeah uh, for those other people that got votes Daniel Bryan Shingo Kenny Omega Mayu Bailey, Asuka and Io Shirai all got votes Daniel Bryan was in fourth and Shingo Takagi was in fifth so that makes up your top five but yes the Podmania wrestler of 2020 a fucking weird 2020 is Drew McIntyre so let's move on to match of the year 2020. There have been some fucking odd matches. Uh, obviously, empty <laughs> empty arenas necessitate some interesting booking, and it has bought some of the wackiest, bizarrest, and dare I say, best matches that companies have come up with for a fucking long time. And we'll get into that, I'm sure as I ask both people their top three. So, as I started with Chris last time, Garth, what Mm -hmm. are your top three matches this year? This was actually quite tough. Um, Because you'd only watch four. (laughs) No, like, like, the ones that I've watched that are on this list, they're all interchangeable, apart from the top spot, which is clearly obvious what it's going to be. But... um, a lot of it seems to be from sort of earlier in the year as well. I mean, number three, I'm going to put the Royal Rumble match um, for two main reasons. Edge coming back was just one of those sort of drop everything and stare at the screen and then shout yes at the top of your voice, which is what I did at three o'clock in the morning or whatever it was here. Um and watched it repeatedly on fucking YouTube afterwards. <laughs> uh, and also for Drew winning it. Actually, a third as well. Brock Lesnar dancing to Shelton Benjamin's music. And to um, and, to, was, and when Keith Lee came out, big boy. That was, was fucking amazing. Honestly, that was the best I've seen Brock in a long time because you could tell he was absolutely having a riot. like, And just throwing people out for fun as well. It was brilliant. Um, one of the best rumbles for a long time. So that's Agreed. me number three. Number two, again, was really hard. I'm going to go... 
tough. I'm going to go Reigns versus Jesu because I thought, because of the investment, because I've been watching all the sort of lead up to it, the YouTube stuff, all the backstage stuff. This is Reigns at his absolute peak at the minute in terms of his character, sort of the head of the table thing. I'm the head of the family, to, like earn your seat and all that sort of thing. And the fact that Usos have come out of this with loads of credibility as well. The match was great. The story was great within the match. Uh, I just think Reigns has hit his absolute stride. Um, it's just a shame that there's no crowd there. Or maybe, actually, maybe it's probably good there isn't a crowd there because they would try to shit on it, wouldn't they? Um, but the matches he's had, n- not just this one, the other matches as well have been like all top-class matches. Um, and the top one is obviously Stadium Stampede. It's the most fun I've had watching wrestling in a long time. There were so many spots, there's so many stupid over-the-top moments. Um, we don't really need to mention them because we went full on loving when we watched, when we, we talked about it. Um, I'll give it ten out of five. Um, <laughs> it just it had everything that makes wrestling good and fun, daft stuff, good wrestling. Um, a buff, a bar, yeah, a bar brawl. Um, someone getting chased with a golf cart. Someone being fucking northern like suplexed for 100 yards or whatever it was. Um, just magnificent stuff. That is a match I would show someone if they said, what's wrestling? I would show them that. <laughs> and I would publish, honestly, and I would show them maybe it's a rumble, but that would be like, this is what wrestling instills on the fun style and the characters. Um, that's much of the year. That's my match of the last couple of years. It's just fucking brilliant. Special mention though to the Boneyard match because I thought that was excellent as well. That almost made me top three. Not to the Firefly match. That as well, yeah. But it was shorter and not as yeah. It was good, but it was bizarre. It was like a fucking. It was like a trip. But I thought the the take the take thing was brilliant. AJ was excellent. Good year, good year for some good matches. Chris, what about you? Okay. For me, this is difficult because if you look at like my video, like most of my top ten isn't even on this list. So I'm just gonna instead of that, right? Fuck you. <laughs> I was like, oh, can you put me on? No, but too smarky. Fuck you. And then you introduced <laughs> the Kanto Miyahara alarm. It's the worst thing in the world. Beep, 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 beep. Um, <laughs> no, he does that every time I mention Kanto Miyahara. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Which is hard because he's one of the biggest figures in Japan, and I need to draw comparisons sometimes. Anyway, sorry, who's um, the biggest so character pick... in Japan? Go Jizaki. Um, no. <laughs> okay, so in... so instead, I'm going to pick out three. Um, like my, my match of the year is on here, but instead, I'm going to pick out matches I kind of want to talk about. If you want to see my actual, go to YouTube.com/slash Chris O'Brien. Um... Have you heard it? Oh my god. As if you've shamelessly plugged your own shit. (laughs) Yes. You Um, smock. Okay, so I'm like that guy at Blackpool hanging out. His business guy. (laughs) Speaking of Blackpool, Tyler Bate versus Jordan Davlin. uh, NXT UK take over Blackpool. And I love this match more than I should just because I miss live wrestling so much. Like, we were both, like, we were, I say both, we were all there. 
and like honestly that's probably why i like it so much was hanging out with my friends or um for a couple of days in blackpool instead of like the actual match itself but the actual match itself was fucking incredible i remember like um after the match rob just went 10 like like that mm-hmm. i mean gav came back from the bathroom it's like and rob was like oh i gave it a 10 and he was like really um but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the actual match itself was great some great little callbacks actually to um like british wrestling's past like jody fleischer's 720 ddt and just how over Tyler Bate was. It was like this nice, amazing thing before we realized how bad 2020 was going to be. So I'm just happy about that. Um, number two here, I would have to go with Walter versus Ilya Dragunov because it's just incredible. <laughs> like, it's weird. You sort of fall into this weird, violent zen state when you're watching it to the point where I can't really tell you what happens. But I know I liked it. Chops. Lots and lots of chops. <laughs> like, five minutes in, there's a sleeper suplex on the outside, which, like, like if, in case for some reason you don't know, sleeper hold, fall over, drop the guy on his fucking head. Um, <laughs> the power bombs, the suplexes, fucking amazing. And then number one, I'm pretty sure it's still Rob's number one as well, is Naito versus Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. Because, oh my god, like, Ever since I've been started watching New Japan, what Wrestle Kingdom Nine, so that's six years ago, five years ago, at the point of um, Wrestle Kingdom, that's the story New Japan's been building up to, and it got a bit lost in the woods in like 2019. Naito didn't quite know what he was doing; he's sort of just hanging out with Taichi. But then you get here, and it's like just finally, finally, the thing you've been rooting for for all these years. Happened, which eh, um, like the way I put it in my, like every time I've talked about it in the last few weeks was the end of this is like like if New Japan ended here it'd be like Scrub Season 8 where everything ended exactly where it has to be and then like the rest of New Japan's year has been Scrub Season 9 where it just didn't need to happen New Japan should have stopped <laughs> after this moment because if it did New Japan would have had the perfect ending Hard to disagree, again, with either of you, really. Um, I'm. There are times when I feel like I look at storytelling over in-ring action sometimes, um, which is why, as good as Walter and Ilya Dragunov is, it, it doesn't crack my top three, because as good and as brutal about as it is, and fully deserving of its five-star Meltzer rating, it you know it was a good it was a match it it wasn't part of something bigger and that's what I look for in matches. Um, number three for me is the Firefly Funhouse match because it was fucking bonkers, but <laughs> at its core it was fantastic storytelling. You know we had everything in distilled into this nineteen minute segment of utter chaos you know we had every we had everything from all through Cena's career you know everything that contributed to Wyatt's downfall in the WWE and it was just it was it was wacky it was something that none of us had any idea was coming and I think you know as good as the Boneyard match was the Firefly Funhouse was something completely different and for me with one exception 
it's the best cinematic match of this year. And for me, it is the best WWE cinematic match by a country mile, and not just because it's got Bray Wyatt in it. Um, number two, I was... I was torn between two different matches. Um, I've plumped for Stadium Stampede, um, but it could have been the Men's Royal Rumble match for everything that Garth said. Um, it could have been Will Ospreay versus Hiromu, uh, just for balls-to-the-wall junior action, which is one of my jams. Um, but I've gone for Stadium Stampede. There's nothing really that I can add that Garth hasn't already said. Um, it's got a horse in it. I mean, what the fuck mm-hmm. else can you want? It's... It, it's got Matt Hardy changing character underneath water. It's got people locked in ice machines. It's got people challenging referees' calls. It is utter nonsense, and it's fucking great. And then number one, um, of course, <laughs> I'd like to give an honourable mention to Okada vs. Sabushi from night one of Wrestle Kingdom 14 because, Jesus Christ, what a fucking match. People were concerned when the two faced off in the G1 that, you know, that was, that was, it was good, but is that all they've got? And no, this was incredible. It was fast paced. It had murder Ibushi, which is best Ibushi. Um, and it was, aside from my number one pick, spoiler, it was Okada's last great match. Um, and with that, I might as well transition into... Um, tai Chi. <laughs> which Okada won for some reason. Um, match number one, Tessie United versus Okada, Wrestle Kingdom 14. Um, again, stellar storytelling, you know, from Wrestle Kingdom 8, even earlier, all the way through to Wrestle Kingdom 14, this has been teased, and this story arc of Tetsuya Naito constantly being in Okada's shadow, constantly not getting the job done, the disappointment that it seemed the entire of Japan had when Tetsuya Naito couldn't get the job done at Wrestle Kingdom 12, the whole debacle with the fan vote at Wrestle Kingdom 8, for Naito to come from Wrestle Kingdom 8 to become the most popular star in New Japan, short of Tanahashi, to then lose at Wrestle Kingdom 12, to then have to fight his way back up through some questionable booking to Wrestle Kingdom 14's main event and this fantastic match that had callbacks all the way through from Wrestle Kingdom 8 all the way through to now. And it was storytelling at its best. It was catharsis at its best until Kenta, dickhead. Um <laughs> fantastic heel honestly fantastic heel work i fucking love kenta think he's a fantastic heel but that aside this is my top match tremendous tremendous match now lads uh, just before i go through the top three you'll be interested to know that the number one fan choice has not been mentioned so, you are a bad choice, obviously. Well, we'll leave that to you. I am glad that this got a vote. So, in third place is Walter versus Ilya Dragunov from NXT UK episode 114 with 12.9% of the votes. So, that did crack our top three, which is great. In joint second place, we have Ooh. the Stadium Stampede match 
from Double or Nothing 2020 with 16.13% of the vote. And obviously with the same is Tetsuya Naito versus Kazutsuka Okada, Wrestle Kingdom 14, Night 2. Now that leaves in first place with 22.58% of the votes from AEW Revolution 2020, the six-star rated match, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page versus the Young Bucks. How bizarre... How bizarre that the match was steeped in praise and, you know, it was a tremendous match, a thoroughly enjoyable match. I I loved it. It's a really good match. But how bizarre that there's three of us on this podcast and not only did none of us put it number one, none of us even voted for it. <laughs> but then the first year with the, uh, with the, what, with the um, North American ladder match. I think so. And I think as well what doesn't help is that was pre-COVID. COVID, yeah. And it does feel like a completely different time. Yeah, it does. I think also what sort of hurts it for me is sort of like, I'm complete, like my opinions of this match are completely at odds with one another. Like on one hand, it's this amazing display of throwing everything in terms of spots and story at the wall and seeing what sticks. But on the other hand, people keep telling me it's like, oh, they're going back years from New Japan and the biggest culprit of that seems to be, like, moves. So, like, I think I kind of got burned out on it just because how much people were trying to tell me it was, like, genius when in reality it's just a really good tag match. It is nice to see a tag match, though, in an era where, let's face it, in some companies tag team wrestling is uh, thrust down the card. Yeah. Well, no, actually, no, I'll give them their due and I'll talk about this later. This year's tag division in New Japan is worthy of applause because genuinely there have been some stellar matches, some stellar champions, and the tag league was actually quite good. You watched actually quite good. I watched bits. I watched bits. You crazy weirdo. Um... (laughs) But it's nice to see that this was top. So there you go. Podmania end of year awards first. A tag team match has topped our end of year awards. Um, just for completionists out there, um, some of the other votes in fourth place, Boneyard match. We also had Kota Ibushi versus Kazuchika Okada, the Firefly Funhouse match, the Men's Royal Rumble match, uh, John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston from Full Gear 2020, and the Men's War Games match from NXT TakeOver War Games for all received votes. So thank you very much for voting for those. Move on then to Podmania's show of the year. Um, Chris, what are your top three shows this year? So, um, number three is... It's a weird one, because this is right around the point where I was getting burned out on New Japan. Like, completely burned out. I was like, I'm done. I think I was was bitching about it, about as much as I was bitching about WWE right before I stopped watching that. So, it was... A weird one, but this was so good. It kept me watching for at least one other show, but then B-Block happened. Um, and it's the night 13 of G1, because, ah, all the matches are so good. But not as good as people mostly say. Like, Okada versus Shingo is probably is fairly weak and didn't need to be 27 minutes. And Okada, fu- um, Okada fucking sucks. But um, Cobb versus Ishii, yes. Just two pieces of beef running into each other. I'm never not going to be here for that. Osprey versus Taichi. Taichi managed to drag that job into the best match of his career. And then Abushi versus Suzuki. 
just great stuff. I've done, I don't, I don't know if you've seen it, Gaff, but it's only like 16 minutes long. Go out your way to watch it because it is mm-hmm. fucking incredible. <laughs> and like probably the best thing, um, either man's done. A, no, actually, no, it's not my favorite Suzuki match of the year, but it is my favorite Abushi match of the year. And that's including the rest of um, Kingdom classic. So I definitely recommend you go out your way for it. Um, number two is a draw because I can't decide between them. It's AW's Revolution and AW Full Gear. Because okay. mm-hmm. Revolution, on one hand, had a great undercard like Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen, um, the tag match we were talking about before. Um, not so much Hager versus um, Dustin, but we can skip over that. But then was headlined by a god awful match between Moxley and Jericho. Like, it was just disgustingly awful. But then you have mm. um, Full Gear, where the undercard was fine, you know, nothing overly special. But after All Out, the undercard looked like a fucking amazing thing because it didn't have Big Swole versus Britt Baker on it. <laughs> um, so, like, whereas, just by comparison, it looks amazing. Um, but, but then the two main events in the tag match and um, especially that Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley match was fucking incredible and i cannot decide which one i like more and probably go with full gear just because of how much i love kingston versus moxley and then number one wrestle kingdom it, it always is night one had a bunch of great shit on it and then night two had both mine and robert's matches of the year and um a really underrated match between goto and kenta like that got forgotten just because of everything around it but that match is also incredible and there was one more on there, which I've forgotten and was great. Oh, it wasn't Osprey. great. But it was, um, I was on night one. Oh, oh. oh, night two, it was Jericho versus Tanahashi, which was good. It was probably Jericho's best match all year. So don't say Stadium Stampede. <laughs> <laughs> um, Goth, what have you chosen? <clears throat> um, it's tough again. Um, where... AEW were hard to sort of pick because although they did have uh, pay-per-views with excellent matches, a lot of it felt like just your average weekly match, especially in the women's division, which really, really is Hang on, struggled. we have a women's division? Hey. Uh, which is struggle. I mean, even the tag division, in a way, bar, say, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page and the Young Bucks has been quite... And obviously, like, COVID's dealt them a blow but just seems to go around them at the moment so in third place I've gone for Wrestlemania um, and I think it's mostly because it was done over the two nights which felt a hell of a lot better I didn't have a hangover the next morning after watching eight hours of wrestling um, to have a hangover I think, after watching four hours of wrestling I, th- I, I think breaking up really helped it and you got the big payoff on the end of the second night with Drew winning, um, which was just a massive shame there was no crowd. But both nights had really good... If they took the best from both nights and made it one pay-per-view, it probably would have been the best pay-per-view WWE like, produced in a long, long time. Um, I think like Undertaker AJ was like an amazing match, the Boneyard one. Um, Owens versus Rollins was a decent match. Probably one of the best matches that either of them have had all year. Um, you had Sami Zayn, who was playing that character. The f- it's just fucking 
it's comedy, brilliant. And his match with Daniel Bryan was pretty good. Um, the second night you had obviously the Bray Wyatt Firefly Funhouse match, which was fucking bizarre but brilliant. You had Drew beating Brock Lesnar in what five minutes. Um, Edge and Randy Orton's match was excellent for the most. Went a bit long, but still a really good match. So I think overall it was like a really, really good wrestling like show, like a really good weekend of um, wrestling. So that's my third. Number two, I've gone Wrestle Kingdom because I always do enjoy it. Um, because it's like it's like me annual little slice of Japanese wrestling but <laughs> I would never normally watch it and so I I kind of get to see parts of what you guys rave about but it isn't always the best stuff obviously um, obviously special shout outs to like the Osprey Tan- uh, Takahashi match which was amazing and the fact that Will Osprey didn't do Will Osprey that he normally does um, <laughs> Osprey didn't do shit. Osprey you know what I mean, like over the top. Um, even like the like the, the like the Jay White Knight no match was good. Um, you had the thingy's last night of wrestling as well. Like um, Liger, yeah, it was sort of the, the end of a part fucking... of that match is um, Great Sasuke accidentally getting knocked off the apron and just <laughs> shit on the floor. <laughs> um, the, obviously, the Okada Bushi match that you just talked about was really good. Um, like Zack Sabre Jr. versus Sonata was really good. That, I think that was one of my favourite matches of the second night. Um and it was like you like like you guys have said, it's just a really, really, really good show and some excellent matches. And I, I do always enjoy the Wrestle Kingdom because it's it does take us out of the sort of comfort zone of American wrestling. Um and my favourite of the year was a toss up between two. And I've gone for the Rumble because it's the last event I can th- remember with a fucking crowd. Uh, and I think that feeling of Drew winning it, of everything we spoke about before, um, made it that much more. The Edge, again, Edge coming back was such a massive fucking thing. Like, goosebumps. Even talking about it now, I'm getting like a goosebumps. I'm like, just... Like everything about was, ent- like exciting and entertaining. Um, even like I, I know like people shit on it, but I actually enjoyed the Roman Reigns versus uh, Baron Corbin match. Like the sort of no holds barred arena oh, brawl. Good fun of the stadium they were holding. <laughs> yeah, um, and the even like I don't know, like Bray Wyatt versus Daniel Bryan was a good match. Um, the women's Royal Rumble was all right. It was decent. Um, but the men's was excellent, so that was my favourite this year. My Especially enjoy- shout out to NXT War, uh, War Games as well, because that almost made me top three. My enjoying memory of Vuro Rumble, because we did a watch along the day after, was Chelsea <laughs> Blackheart coming out and Gaff going, who the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> right, that, that was good. So, um, I've had a long time to think about this, and I still don't fucking know. Um, so, I'm going to go um, Royal Rumble um, at three. Um, again, I'm with Garth. I don't think we have had a better men's Rumble in 
fucking ages. It, it was it was fun. You've had yeah, pro- genuinely probably since twenty ten. Um, it when was <laughs> it was fun. It had storylines <laughs> going all the way through. Basically, we just need Edge to return at every single men's Royal Rumble, and therefore we will have a good Royal Rumble. Apparently, that's fair, the thing. It's possible this year. It's true. It is. Um, yeah, a thoroughly. And then the undercard was great. Um, Wyatt versus uh, Daniel Bryan was easily the Fiend's best in-ring match before he got squashed by Goldberg. So, yeah, a tremendous undercard. Really, really good, cathartic Royal Rumble match where the right person won and we had the right sort of balance between comedy and real wrestling. We had the Brock Lesnar stuff. We had Jeff Jarrett coming out, which was fantastic. <laughs> Ain't that great? Um, that was amazing. Um, yeah, just a really, really, really good night of wrestling. Um, number two, um, uh, it's between two. It's between WrestleMania 36, so I might as well give WrestleMania 36 an honorable mention. Again, Having it over two nights is so much easier. You know, it is so much easier for a crowd to digest than eight hours worth of wrestling. You look at WrestleMania 34 and you look at the AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura match, which WWE had billed as the greatest match they were ever going to put on and would ever put on. You know, that came at the four-hour mark of WrestleMania. People don't want to watch that much wrestling. It's just, it's too much. So to have it over two nights, to have the matches able to breathe and to be able to tell the stories they needed to tell and to be topped off on each night by two of the best cinematic matches that wrestling companies have been able to put out was amazing for The Undertaker to have what will ultimately be his final match and it for it not to suck was grand. So just for that, it gets an honourable mention. Um, number two for me is um, the G1 Climax 30 Night 13. Um just for a little bit of context, um, aside from the opening Young Lion match, there were five G1 Climax matches and the lowest Melt And I know Meltzer's ratings need to be taken with a pinch of salt and they're subjective. Fully understand that. But on this card, Meltzer gave no ratings lower than four and three quarter stars and gave two five and a quarter star ratings. That gives you some indication of just how fucking good this now was. And... Like Chris said, the G1 Climax this year at times was a slog, basically B-block. But this night was a stark reminder that New Japan can still put on really, really fucking good shows. And it was a reminder of why we wait from Wrestle Kingdom all the way through to, you know, what is usually the summer, to get to a G1 Climax for nights like this. It was a truly tremendous night of wrestling. I disagree with what Chris said. Um, I think the Shingo and Okada match was tremendous. Um, and I think Suzuki versus Ibushi is just two men beating the shit out of each other, um, which I love. So there you are, that's number two. And then number one's Wrestle Kingdom, which I think is all three of us agreeing for once, which is nice. Um, I can't add anything that you haven't already said. Three legitimate 10 out of 10 matches in Ibushi Okada, um, Naito Okada, and Takahashi versus Osprey. You've got the entire pomp and circumstance regarding Liger's match. Um, 
you've got loads of forgotten matches on the undercard. Kenta versus Goto. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Sonada. Was that this year? That was this year. That wasn't this year. Was that this year? Yes, um, it was this year. It was this year. <laughs> oh, no, because it was Ishii the year before. It was Ishii yeah. the year before. So Time's a fucking illusion. Oh, tell me about it. Um, you'd got the real feel-good moment of Finn Juice winning the titles. So, overall, it was such a good two nights of wrestling. And, yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. Easily my number one. Didn't even have to think about it. So, top three then from the Podmania public. At number three, joint third, in fact, we have... AEW Full Gear 2020 with 12.9% of the votes. Also at third with 12.9% of the votes is NXT TakeOver War Games 4. Um, Which is fair. It's weird this year and it goes to show just how how downhill NXT's gone really on the USA Network that not one of us put an NXT TakeOver in our top three and both previous years we've done these awards, the show of the year has been won by an NXT takeover. Hmm. So, yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because New Orleans won in 2018 and New York won in 2019. I've not actually... You you two know this. I've not actually properly enjoyed an NXT takeover <coughs> all year. And, like, I'm including, like, Worlds Collide and Matt. I haven't really enjoyed any of them. I thought Portland was good. Um I- I thought Poland was... I think Portland's actually one of the worst... Like, I think the only one I like less than Portland is 30. Oh, I hated 30. Hated In Your House. Um, I liked I enjoyed In Your House mostly because of Todd Pettengill. Todd Pettengill. Oh, tremendous. Despite the fact that I, mm-hmm. I hate the man. Um, I thought he was great <laughs> in this. Um, Despite the fact we can fuck off. I love him. Yeah, there's, there's usually takeovers that are stellar from top to bottom. There's been, there's been matches like TakeOver 31. Aside from... Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly, which resulted in both men getting injured. There wasn't anything really. Um, Takeover Balor War Games okay. is probably the best top to bottom takeover that they've done all year. Mm-hmm. Still I mean, great, but it was it was fine. It wouldn't have touched a takeover from last year or the year before, but it was probably the best takeover from this year, which is a sad state of affairs. Um, in second place then, and again, I'm glad this got to where it was, with 16.13% of the votes was the Royal Rumble 2020. And then with 19.35% of the votes, at the top of the pile was Wrestle Kingdom 14. So, yeah, pretty much unanimous in the fact that that was the best show of the year. Other shows with a vote uh, in fourth place, AEW Double or Nothing 2020. Uh, then WrestleMania 36, um, All Out, Revolution, TakeOver Portland, and then a couple of Impact showings, uh, Bound for Glory 2020 and Slammiversary 18. So those are your Podmania shows of yeah, 2020. Quickly, have you ever told people what you said to your wife when um, most of the machine guns came back? <laughs> have I not mentioned it on here? I don't think you have. So she, you should probably tell her because it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, I was watching a... Was it Slammiversary? No, it wasn't. It was, it was Bound for Glory. Was it Slammiversary this year? Yeah. And uh, 
And obviously, <laughs> I hadn't. I'd, I'd avoided. I'd avoided all the spoilers and stuff. And obviously, watching the the tag match, and then she's in the middle of sort of telling us something, and then and the music hits. Like, hang on, sure a minute. Motor City Machine Guns are coming out. <laughs> no, wasn't it like, um, look, they're back, woman? <laughs> yeah, I look, they're back. She's like, who? Motor City Machine Guns are She went, oh. <laughs> and I was absolutely marking out like a motherfucker. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, let's move on then to our tag team of 2020. Will the Undisputed Era manage to crack the top three for a third year in a row? Um, Garth, who've been your tag teams of this year? Um, it's been quite a good year for tag teams, really, hasn't it? Um, Certainly. One that was completely and utterly never imagined and never thought would come out. Um, but I have enjoyed the stuff. I will say I've kind of enjoyed the Young Bucks stuff, the matches. Um, this, the the one that obviously the um, Omega and Page one was really good. Um, the, the last match as well, there's that watch, I can't remember who it was against now, um, where they actually sold the leg through the whole match. On full gear, um, that was like probably on a par with the Hangman Page one uh, and Omega. Um, so I put the Young Bucks in number three. I think FTR being fucking an absolute breath of fresh air, so they're gonna be number two when they've come in because the such a contrast with the likes of the Young Bucks and Luchas and the others. Um, to add this sort of in the they did so in WWE that added sort of air of authenticity to what they do. Everything is just to win a match. That there's no airs or graces. They just try to they'll try and pin somebody after a fucking back body drop. And it's refreshing to see them not try and kill themselves to try and win a match. And they'll grind people down and it, it's it's nice to see in today's sort of wrestling. Um so FTR second and at the top I never thought I would put this there, but Omega and really, really good, but it's the story that they've been telling from the whole sort of the elite thing all the way back from the Stadium Stampede, all the way through that. The sort of sort of dissidence in the in the team with Hangman Page just going off and getting pissed or getting a beer and not taking it as seriously as Kenny Omega to the actual blow-off match that they had, which was like really good match. Um, that story worked, and it was working into other matches with the Young Bucks and just all of it, just really, really sort of... was a really good long story. So, yeah, Hangman Page and Kenny Omega, my tag team of the year. Chris? Um... It's a weird year for tag team wrestling, isn't it? Because tag team wrestling is based so much around the hot tag, which inherently just doesn't work as well without a crowd. Yeah. So tag teams have had to be more creative, and a lot of them just kind of haven't been. It's been weird. But in terms of who I'd pick, um, number one, and it's literally just because of how we were at the beginning of the year, was um, number three, rather, the Broserweights. 
because they were just incredibly fun throughout mm-hmm. um, their short run. With the exception of the Bobby Fish shit, I hated that. I thought it was the cringiest thing I've ever seen. But the actual stuff itself, their tournament performances were really fun. Um, their, day, their video packages were really great, like that stuff where they're golf karting to Portland. It was great. Um, number two. <laughs> and it's a wit. Like, I didn't think I'd be saying, putting a new Japan team on this list. But Dangerous Tackers, man, they've just been great all year. Even before they were being pushed, like when they were jobbing them out to Okada versus Osprey for no reason. Like, we just jobbed them out to Okada versus Osprey because you know who needs win? Okada. Okada needs lots of wins. Mm. Um, but then they got the tag titles and that Dominion match. I went back and watched it recently. And it's weird because, like, normally when they were doing, they had like Tanahashi tied up and they were doing constant corkscrew streams, but he couldn't fall down. So we were just killing his leg, basically. But the babyface shine never came. And that's sort of great. You don't see that a lot. Like, you, whenever that happens at a big show, the babyface will come back. But babyface never came back. And it's just little stuff like that. They work together so well. And it's weird because you have like the bullshit artists in Tai Chi with like the proper wrestler in Sabre. So it just contrasts so well. In terms of a heel tag team, no one's beat them all year. And then number one, like Garth said, Paige and Omega just they had some of the best matches this year um, in terms of tag matches. Definitely the most consistent tag team of the year. And having a through line throughout the whole match, like every match they have had the through line of Will vs. Weaver 1 where Hangman turns an Omega, and that's so hard to do. Especially considering they started that shit last year and they carried it through to, what, October? Yeah. Like, August? That's when the split happened. So, incredible stuff. Um, The only down mark on their record, really, is the FTR match kind of blue. But apart from that, it was a great, it was a great time. I'm... Huh, the only one I disagree on, really, is my third place. Um, In third, and this might sound like a weird one, I've put the Street Profits, they have been dealt some fucking shit this year. When they get attacked by ninjas at Backlash. Exactly. And (laughs) they've gone from doing cheap Star Wars rip-offs with the Viking Raiders to putting Mm -hmm. on fantastic matches with the likes of The New Day. And people forget sometimes that Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford are fucking good wrestlers. Especially Ford. Ford is going to be a star when they split them up. Absolutely. I mean, their matches, I know that they... All the issues that WWE Tag Division has are booking's fault, are creative's fault. It's nothing to do with the tag team. And when the Street Profits have been given the chance to shine against Andrade and Angel Garza, apart from when Garza got injured, when they've had the chance to shine against the Viking Raiders in an actual match, when they've had the chance to shine against the New Day, they've put on tremendous matches. And people overlook them because of that utter bollocks with the Viking Raiders. And that's not their fault. And I'm not taking that into account. I think it's also the fact that wrestling fans don't like fun and their entrance is inherently a bit silly like even with like theme song and everything it's all just a tiny bit silly with like did we still do the kool-aid cup thing yeah 
I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and people are just like, oh, that's not serious. Where's my people in black tights stiffing each other? <laughs> I, don't th- no, I, I don't think they do. Whenever they come out and do that, it's a big... There's a big pop. There's a big crowd reaction. Of course, you're going to struggle at the moment because they've been given the tag belts during a time where they are they are physically not allowed to be near each other. So you know there is always going to be an inherent danger there. But I've whenever the street profits have been allowed to wrestle, for me, they've been tremendous, and that's why they get my third place vote. Um, in second, um, I've put the books. It's the box in it. <laughs> it was between yeah. them and FTR, yeah. but you either hate them or you love them. There's exactly. no one between the young And bucks. I am a massive young bookmark. I think they're great. Um, they've put on two of the best matches of this year and the Podmania match of the year. They very, very rarely put on poor matches. Very, very rarely. And their storytelling is a damn sight better than it used to be. The, so, Like the perpetual wear and tear and Matt Jackson's back. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But they've, they've worked that so well into stories without it being a case of, oh, look, Osprey's hurt his leg and now he's doing a 650, um, which isn't a move, fully aware of that. Um, and then my number one is Omega and Hangman Page as well for the exact same reasons outlined by your good selves. So I'm not going to dwell on that. Um, so... If we are ready, let's uh, let's delve into the audience's top three. So, in joint third place, ironically, we have, with 16.13% of the vote, FTR and the Young Bucks. So, they are joint third. What I'd say about the Young Bucks, if, I mean, he'd probably be overall third if Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson started shouting your dad before a super kick again, because I miss that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, number two is Kenny Omega and Hangman Page with Ooh. 19.35% of the votes. And Damn then, it. potentially controversially, um, with 22.58% of the votes, um, with quite a few people apparently agreeing with my initial synopsis, the Street Profits are number one. Huh. Which I, <laughs> I don't hate. Um, but yeah, they've, do you know what, despite the wank that they were given, they did what they could with it and have put on some tremendous matches in the interim. I think what you could say about the, um, Street Profits is when when they've been bad this year, because we were given bad shit, when Hangman and Kenny were bad this year, they were given FTR, so. Yeah, true. And I will just say as well, I meant to give honourable mention to Dangerous Tackers for the exact same reasons as Chris. Um, But there we are. Um, Other votes went to the Undisputed Era, who just miss out on the top three for the first time. Uh, The Bros Awaits, uh, The New Day, The North, and Dangerous Tackers. Breakout Star of the Year uh, 2020. So let's start with Chris. My number bad because they've been since been fucking eviscerated. But um, number three, like it's kind of a carryover from last year. Like he had momentum going into this year, but he's capitalized on it so well up until the point where he's fucking curled up. And that's Keith Lee. Hmm. Oh, 
he made me yeah. like the only real black spot on his record pre call up for me was the carrying cross match, and that's because Cross was injured. What three minutes in? It was relatively oh, early, yeah. Two, yeah, it's, it's a bit unfair too. Um, but Mark and that, and also for Johnny Gargano match, but you know, I, I don't judge anyone but Johnny Gargano for his shit matches. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's the feats of strength he can do, uh, impressive to say the least. So, just any, I'm, I'm just sad that he's sort of been he's sort of lost in the shuffle now, isn't he? On Raw, he has got like, a title shot chances, recently, but he's not done much. <laughs> Anyway, um, number two. This is more someone I think is going to be massive rather than someone who's had opportunity to be good because he hasn't had the opportunity to be good. But Ilya Dragunov, he's so intense. He has, but like NXT UK has not been around. So like you could tell we were building to something at Blackpool, like he interfered in the main event. Like he wasn't just in the main event because that's the feud that's been going on for months. Where you'd think, you know what? I'm. We're gonna save because, like, Black, NXT Takeover Blackpool is basically NXT UK's mania. Yeah. Like, twice in two years, you know what? Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he's incredible. He's so intense, and I think when you can get a crowd behind him, like, um, if, imagine that hot Blackpool crowd behind um Dragunov versus Walter, and I can because it happened last year at Progress Show. Is going to be great, and then number one because he's done incredible things despite being given very, very fucking little. And the fact that he got tapped out recently is fucking disgusting, and that's Thatcher. Timothy Thatcher is a fucking grappling genius, and he's being wasted right now, and I hate it. Push him, you fucking cowards. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Garth. <laughs> <laughs> just uh yeah Re- reeling from chris's uh the cowards there <laughs> i will qu- um, walk to that house i am gonna go number three orange cassidy because he came into aw as a bit of a joke as a bit of a f- comedy character that very few people knew much about um Myself included, thought, "What the fuck is this stupid little shin kick thing that he does?" Yeah, the first time I saw Orange Cassidy, my first thought was, "Garth is gonna fucking hate." <laughs> but then he grew on us, and he grew on us. And when they actually let him have matches, and you saw the shit that he was doing, it was like, "Ah, oh, actually, this is fucking good. This is good shit." Um, and then the, the feud he had with Jericho was brilliant. You could tell. Jericho was obviously the same as a lot of the fans. He was like, what the fuck is this at first? And then he thought, actually, we can work with this and we can do something. And Jericho helped get him over at the same time as still running himself alongside the sort of new guys. And I think that worked with Cassidy. And, I mean, it just showed you that the reaction Cassidy was getting and the fact that that daft fucking T-shirt he had was like the biggest selling... T-shirt for weeks. Um, nah, I thought he was. He had, he's had a really, really good year, and I think he, like, well, definitely me, proved me fucking wrong. That the fact that 
he's an excellent wrestler as well, like behind the daft gimmick. Have, um, you, have you ever seen the video of him on the Indies being rocked to sleep? No. And then they tried to pin him, but then at the two count, he rolls over and starts sucking his thumb. <laughs> See, like that shit shouldn't work, <laughs> but it kind of does. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's number three. Number two. I'm going to go Rhea Ripley. Um, I thought she had a fucking really good year um, win the championship. How many times? <laughs> she has, but she's... I mean, the War Games match was excellent. Uh, a run before that was really good. She's always seemed to sort of... She sort of carried the brand at times um, for, like, the men and the women. Uh, when she's had her spots on, the, on the, like, the main roster... The um, well, Rumble and stuff. She just always sort of held her own, really good. Um, and I've always enjoyed her matches. She's, she, she's like, re- like really believable, and that's the thing. It's like she's quite sort of stiff and quite like unopposing and not really flash. She just does stuff to try and win the match, like a lot like sort of Shayna Baszler style, but less fucking nasty. Um, now like really enjoy watching like the the Ripley stuff. Number one, probably a lot of people are going to vote for Keith Lee because he's just he seemed to just explode this year, just like literally come out of nowhere. Um, and like Chris mentioned, like the feats of strength he does, the 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 stuff he's done in some of the matches he's had, um, is sort of one on one with Lesnar and the Rumble was a, like a real highlight. And I think that sort of teased what was to, what could happen if he was on the main roster. And then he got on the main roster and he's sort of been, like I said, like lost in the shuffle a bit. But up to then... You heard Vince is wanting to hand him back to the um, performance centre. Really? Yeah. Which, Why? Like, you have Braun Strowman as a champion, but sure, it's... Yeah. Like he had, it's like you had the proverbial fucking rocket strap. And then just seem to hit a brick wall up there, like so many others do. But no, I mean, up to that point, though, he was flying and he was compelling. Um, He had a really good character, somebody that the fans really latched onto. And he was in that movie, the main event, I think it's called Main Event, Um, or something like that, the WWE movie with a little kid. He was like the main dude in it. Watch it, it's good. Keith Lee, number one. So, um, I'm going to go number three, uh, Dominic, <coughs> Dominic Mysterio. Um, the lad is, what, 19? Um, had never just stepped a couple, in, years older than, couple years younger than his dad. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Son of uh, 12-year-old Ray Mysterio. Um, yeah. The lad has never stepped in a ring before and has had... Good matches. He's twenty-three. Is he? Fucking hell! I thought yeah. he was nineteen. Um, He's just a little bit younger than me. There you go. And can you do the stuff he can do? Um, no, but my dad's not Ray Mysterio, so <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> the Scottish Ray Mysterio. Um, oh, my dad can barely go out with oh, better money. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, he's probably put, put on a great match with Seth Rollins, where. Usually with a debut like that, you expect the senior person in that ring to carry it. And Seth 
But the team you were didn't. Set, so. You know, the two had a very, very, very good match. Great storytelling. He then had a good match with Buddy Murphy as well. So he's put on really, really good matches. He's shown he's got the charisma, the in-ring sort of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Present. He's got the presence. Yeah, exactly. He's got the presence in-ring. And to explode onto the scene as he did and mm. to be effectively shunted up the card, he needed to be able to come out looking good. And he has. He just needs to get rid of the hood on his fucking gear. Um, next, I'm going to put Orange Cassidy. What the fuck? I mean, he's an enigma. I shouldn't like him, but my God... That match with Pac at Revolution mm. had me in hysterics. Brilliant. And not only that, not only is he fucking hilarious, got great comic timing, and, you know, has a gimmick, you know, he's a fucking great wrestler. When he turns it on, he's a really, really, really good wrestler. I mean, to the point where AEW put him in the semi-main against Chris Jericho. Yes, the match was fucking trash, but... That placement on the card doesn't go to anyone. You know, you've got to have some semblance of nous backstage to be able to be put in that position. So Orange Cassidy second, and then Keith Lee. Um for every reason that you two have said and more. I think the man is fantastic. I think he could be the future of the company. I think he could quite easily carry that WWE championship now, put on bangers and Nobody would ban eyelid. Um, how the WWE have messed up his initial run on Raw, I will give them the benefit of the doubt because he has got a title shot lined up. So, you know, that match with Drew McIntyre is going to be fucking fire. Um, but you look at where he was come the end of Survivor Series 2019, where he was the hottest thing. Um, you look at the Royal Rumble where he was given a big prevalent moment in that Rumble. Yes, he didn't win. Yes, he was eliminated, but he had that real moment with Lesnar. Um, you know, gave us the insight into a dream match that I never knew I wanted and now I want nothing more than. Um, mm. But yeah, so Keith Lee, number one. So... The Podmania public have voted in third place. Someone we haven't mentioned, and someone I must admit I'm not particularly familiar with, Ricky Starks in third place with 16% of the votes. Um, number two, with 19.35% of the vote, we have Keith Lee. And number one, with 29.03% of the votes, we have AEW's Orange Cassidy. So, mm -hmm. Orange Cassidy is your breakout star of the year 2020. Um, and just some other votes. In fourth was Rhea Ripley, uh, Dominic Mysterio, Karrion Cross, Cameron Grimes, Ilya Dragunov, and Timothy Thatcher make up the remainder of the votes. So, disappointment of the year now. This should be entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, Chris, let's limit this to just one. Disappointment of the year. Let's make it interesting. What was the biggest disappointment of the year for you? I really want to go off list and just say New Japan. 
Mm. I'm afraid you cannot. So limiting. You... <laughs> um, tell you what. I've been wanting to ramp this for ages, but we don't talk about WWE too often, so I haven't been able to. Retribution. It's full of so many good people. Mustafa Ali, um, Mia Yim, initially had Mercedes Martinez, um, Dominic Dijakovic. All great talent. All f- charismatic talent, actually, if you follow them on Twitter. Um, Mustafa Ali is so good at shutting people down. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's this one guy tweeting that who for some reason just tweeted him going oh this was doomed from the start and then he just retweeted it going i just want it to be known the last thing you tweeted before you tweeted this was a trying to win a free flashlight so you should just really shut up (laughs) um and then but like could like this sort of because it's clearly meant to tie into this smackdown hacker thing or whatever but they're just ruining the stock of all these amazing talents to make some weird point about entitled millennials. And like, it's so clearly just like something for Vince and no one else. And it's something that could work. And it's something that they're not letting work because they want to. Yeah. Endpoint of WWE's view on how disposable great talent is and it's because mo- basically everything on here is wwe I-, I very rarely let myself be disappointed by wwe anymore like be it um ethically or in terms of their product because think of them any better at this point but in terms of retribution i assume they'd be able to do something good but they didn't and it's just like again, they're just wasting all this great talent. Like Mustafa Ali, how good could he be? Like Dijak, he's Vince McMahon's <coughs> type. Mm. So I don't understand, and how they've been wasted so hard. It's ridiculous. Garth, what about you? Agree? I agree with what Chris says, um, but I'm going to go with the Keith Lee thing because I think it's a fucking crime. That he's not a main eventer, or at least sniffing around that part. Um, when you've got, like Chris says, the likes of Braun Strowman holding titles, um, Keith Lee could be everything and more because he's got char- charisma. He can talk. He's somebody who you imagine, like young kids, wanting to watch and be excited by. He's a big guy, but he's charismatic. He's he's strong. He he's like a he's like the superhero that the kids love to watch. And I understand that's why Braun Strowman is in that position as well. But he's got almost no personality whatsoever. Keith Lee has got everything. Um but for whatever reason, they just don't want to pull the trigger on him. And it's happened so many times before. Um, he's. I mean, we've seen what he can do. We've we've seen the strength that he has, but also the sort of athleticism that he has. He, he can he can probably do any type of match that they need him to do as well. Um, it's just letting him do it, and I think they really are going to shoot themselves in the foot if they let him sort of fizzle out, because you only really get one proper crack at sort of launching somebody. Then they have to sort of come back from 
the shit look, look likes of Cesaro and people like that. They've just fizzled away and they're just nothing opening pre-shows and hopefully that doesn't happen with Keith Lee but the signs are there and it's not looking good so yeah Keith Lee's been my disappointment I wouldn't I mean I wouldn't even say I was disappointed with Goldberg the Fiend because we knew that was going to be an absolute fucking dumpster fire of dog shit <laughs> so <laughs> oddly specific dumpster fire dumpster <laughs> <laughs> A dumpster fire of dog shit. <laughs> that last bit was needed, clearly. Um, <laughs> I'd love to rant about quite a few of these. Um, Retribution, I completely agree with Chris. They seem to introduce... It seems to be WWE's long-term plan at the moment where they introduce something with no fucking idea what they're going to do with it, and Retribution is living proof of that. Um it's just, it's, you know, you've got The Disney Ali. Star Wars approach. Exactly. Well, you've got Ali, who is the leader, and then they just randomly dropped in that, oh, yeah, I was a SmackDown hacker. What the fuck? Where did that like storyline go? It's like what they did with um, Sanity. Exactly. That could have been really good, and then they just fucked it. They had <coughs> Sanity and the Wyatt family. I don't understand how that wasn't a fucking feud. It just, it made so much sense. Um... Keith Lee's introduction to the main roster, why you would have this man who is the biggest thing in NXT at the time and then put him up to the main roster and change both his music and his gear is just, why? What is the purpose of that? Um, just, it, it, at no sense whatsoever. Um, Raw has been a fucking slog this year. It has been dreadful. Three hours, week after week after week of the same matches repeated. It seems that, you know, we've talked a lot about how good Drew McIntyre has been, how well he's done with everything he's been given, but we've had constant variations of Retribution versus The Hurt Business. We've had constant um, The Street Profits versus Andrade and Angel Garza. We've had constant... Um, Randy Orton versus Drew and it's just been the same unimaginative booking you know the, it's not for naught that their ratings are plummeting to their lowest ever point since they started taking records of the ratings isn't like the combined total of like NXT and AEW normally topping Raw at this point oh yeah yeah he's and when you compare it to SmackDown, which it still isn't great, but they are putting on some great shows. And we have Daniel Bryan. No episode of Raw <laughs> has got anyone talking. No one is looking at Raw and going, oh, that was a fucking stellar Raw. It was, well, that didn't drag quite as much as last week. No, and when it's when, three when hours been... long, you've got to set aside a Lord of the Rings extended edition to watch wrestling, it's too much on a weekly basis, and it's too much for the creative team to produce that amount of wrestling per week. It's just not It's not feasible, it's not maintainable, and Raw is slowly but surely pointing, uh, sort of stating that. But none of those are my pick. Uh, I just wanted to rant about them. Um, my pick is Otis as Mr. Money in the Bank. What the fuck was that? <laughs> What the I didn't mind it. actual fuck was that? <laughs> we had to sit through a man whose only gimmick is he's big 
and he can jiggle. That that's that's his entire thing. He if won. They didn't, they, it was a missed opportunity. We should have had him do the truffle shuffle. But it it made the entire concept of money in the bank a joke. Nobody took him seriously. Not one person. And then he lost the briefcase anyway. So this entire feud, this entire thing with Otis was done for a one-off laugh. And this is the epitome of WWE not having a fucking clue what they're doing with their storylines because they gave Otis the Money in the Bank briefcase, he got Mandy Rose, and then quietly on the slime, Mandy Rose was transferred to Raw with nothing at all said. Um, Tucky turned on him for reasons, Hmm. and then he lost the Money in the Bank briefcase. What did anybody at any point buy Otis as any sort of champion? There's no way... No, you didn't. There is no way (laughs) at any point this storyline would have had an ending that was good. It was done for a cheap laugh. You can imagine that the WWE writing team... Exactly. WWE writing team had this great thought for this cinematic match, which was also a dumpster fire and I fucking hated. But you can just imagine Vince going, nah, we're going to do it to the guy that jiggles. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Where, where are we going with that? Ah, that's future Vince's problem. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, bearing in mind that this match involved two actual murders, um, <laughs> you had Alistair Black, Rey Mysterio, Daniel Bryan, and AJ Styles in this match, and Otis won the Money in the Bank briefcase. It's. It, it seems to me like it's times it's, um, what can we do? That's the most outlandish thing that nobody would ever think. <laughs> yeah, the last thing is like Russo booking, isn't it? It's like a swerve for the point of the yeah. swerve. Exactly. Like, here's the thing: like I, I'm beyond the point of caring whether or not WWE is good. So when this happened, I'm just sort of like, yeah, of course, of course, it's fucking happens. Because <laughs> remember, mm-hmm. we did a review at the time, um, and Rob was ranting, and I'm just there going, I don't care. I'm like, I'm sipping my vodka. It's like, yeah, it's fine. It'll all be fine. Just utter crap. Just the height of WWE's poor creative, directionless booking. And do you know what? It's not even Otis's fault because the only person to benefit from this entire fucking thing is Otis. <laughs> Just, yeah, ridiculous. And then to take the briefcase off him? Just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand because there was never really any, there was never a time when you thought Otis was going to cash it in and what they did was they did the same with this that they do with The Fiend where they leave the storylines up to the sort of WWE universe to come up with the missing points oh maybe Otis is going to cash in on the tag team champions and blah 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 blah. maybe Dolph Ziggler is going to win the WWE champion why are we having to join the dots because you can't decide what the fuck you're going to do or that you're going to do something on a whim and then worry about the booking later utter shit and it is one of the huge, huge reasons that WWE has been an absolute fucking dumpster fire in 2020. That and the fact we don't push Timothy Thatcher, I'll kill you. I'll fucking. <laughs> anyway, let's look at what the WWE, the WWE, the Podmania public, um, decided were the three biggest disappointments of the year. So, third with 16.13 percent of the votes was WWE Raw. So that makes perfect sense. 
Number two, with 19.35% of the vote, was Keith Lee on the main roster. Again, complete sense. And then finally, number one, Goldberg defeating The Fiend. 25.81% of the votes. I don't even think it is the fact that the match was shit. The fact that Goldberg defeated one of the hottest characters in WWE with a botched-looking suplex. Um, It was the fact that Goldberg reportedly backstage refused to lose to The Fiend. Yeah. um, And basically played his creative control card, which meant that, once again, WWE did nostalgia at the cost of a young, I say young, an upcoming star. In Goldberg, just a little bit... Garth could take him. Just utter shit. Utter, (coughs) utter shit. Um, Other votes. uh, NXT on USA Network was in fourth. We've got Otis as Mr. Money in the Bank. Retribution. Injuries in NXT are all votes in that category. So we move on now to the final category. Again, there wasn't a ridiculous amount of categories, so we're just going to stick with one choice for each of these. We move to Podmania Feud of the Year 2020. So, Chris, um, what was your Feud of the Year? Oof, there's enough ones on this list again. <laughs> but, if I'm picking one of the ones, like, off list, it's Suzuki versus Nagata. Great stuff. Um, but unless... Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page. It was really good build-up, but I don't think the blow-off was all that good because it was on the undercard of Full Gear. Like, I understand they probably could do something more so this feud could still be going on. But they're kind of doing the side thing with Impact, which is a bit weird, and but also great. It's weird. Um, I don't know how to feel about it. But um, the actual build-up itself, because like, it's hard to keep a will-they-won't-they they angle going on that long of Ross and Rachel and friends like <coughs> when will they split up <laughs> it will happen at some point but when and then it happened and it somehow still was surprising like I still somehow didn't see it coming like jury's out on whether or not the feud's over but as it stand I just enjoyed it throughout the whole year which was very hard in wrestling because most things got bad after a while Garth what's your feud of the year it's tough as between two. Um, I'm going to go Omega Hangman Page though, um, because of the the amount of time they let it draw out, um, because of the sort of little nuggets that the inst- even the tiny little things during matches where Hangman wasn't looking for a tag or he was too concerned about getting his beer in, even the little bits before the matches and things, um, to then have it in the blow-off match um, between the two, which turned out to be really good. And you can see it's... Is it over? Or are the pals again? Like, we don't really know, but it always, it, there always seem to be friction anyway, which is really well done by like both of the guys. Um, but I just thought that the amount of time they let it naturally sort of breathe. Um, There were were times where you thought, like, 
if this was WWE, they would have pulled the trigger like six months in, easily. Out of nowhere as well, it would have been sort of a couple of little disagreements then, ban, turn. Um, but they let this one go. And it wasn't as if it was a... There wasn't even actually a proper turn. It was just like Kenny Omega, just like, I fucking, I'm, I've had enough of this. Like, with, with the champions and you're just taking the piss sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed that. But especially shout out to Reigns versus Uso, because that really did sort of pretty much come out of nowhere. And the whole story about the head of the family and the the, the legacy, the, like the Simone dynasty sort of thing, that's been really good as well. But now I think Omega and Paige just pips that one. And for that reason, it's uh, <laughs> the Roman Reigns Jey was actually my feud of the year. Um, it literally <laughs> did come out of nowhere. There was no real builds towards it because of course Reigns came back with his heel turn quite late on in the year um, has had a tremendous year since he's been back and I think if he'd have been back a little bit earlier he might have been in running for wrestler of the year mm-hmm. but this feud has been tremendous um, starting at Clash of Champions it's elevated Jey Uso as a singles competitor as well which is always great you know you look for a feud you want it to be emotional, you want it to be driven and you want both stars to be elevated because of it and I genuinely think out of this match and their match at Hell in a Cell which I really, really enjoyed I think both star- both people have been elevated tremendously Reigns is doing the best work of his career as this head of the family thing, Jey Uso as the reluctant person joining the family after being beaten and beaten and beaten just it adds such a melodrama and that's what i love i think the storytelling in this feud has been tremendous and we're not done seeing the end of it you know at the moment we've got jey uso doing the bidding of roman reigns so we are inevitably going to get jey uso breaking off from the family and we'll see some sort of blow off there but so far I must applaud WWE. They haven't put a foot wrong as far as I can see in this feud. And yeah, real props to Roman Reigns. I don't they think it was mentioned. So. <laughs> Pick the wrong <laughs> Um So the Pod Mania public have chosen thusly. In third place with 12.9% of the vote, we have got Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. In second place, with 29.03% of the votes, we had Roman Reigns and Jay Uso. And then with 35.48% of the votes, a real runaway victory this, it was Sasha Banks versus Bailey. I um, think this would have won my feud of the year if it had pulled the trigger three fucking years ago. Because <laughs> as it stands, like when we were finally getting to feud this year, and it has been decent from what I've seen, it was like, oh, finally, instead of, oh, fuck, yes. Yeah. If you get me. Like, no, I, I completely I Imagine completely if they had that Hell in a Cell match two years ago. And let's just say now their Hell in a Cell match was fucking great. It's really good, yeah. Um, it's... <laughs> I, I slightly prefer the Becky match from last year. But yeah, like, the Becky match was great. Yeah. It's weird us saying that WWE waited too long. 
because nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. when they're doing storylines that like this, but, but, like Garth said, they pull the trigger within about three minutes, and it's like, what the fuck? Let it chew, WWE. That's the thing with WWE. If they were cooking a lovely lamb uh, lamb chop, right, just the most perfect cut you could see, they would either burn it or serve it to you raw. They have no in between. Exactly. Exactly. And yes, I do think they have waited too long on this feud, but for what we've got, pardon me, I think it's been tremendous. I think it's been tremendous. Sasha is finally getting a run with a title, which is brilliant. Which means she's gotten through her first defence. Which, again, none of us thought would happen. Um, (laughs) Yeah, she's done stellar work and her feud with Bailey has certainly elevated that. So there you go. Our feud of the year for 2020 is Sasha Banks versus Bailey. Um, thank you again to everyone that voted in our end of year awards. Um, we're going to be using a different method next year, so keep an eye out for that. Um, I'm surprised Rob didn't shoot on Survey Monkey there. Oh my God, Survey Monkey can fuck right off. Um, <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, we will move on to our Hall of Fame. Obviously, the far more prestigious wing of the Hall of Fame, far more prestigious than the WWE one. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when we started this into that, this is a bit of fun. So please don't come out and go, are you taking yourself too seriously? It's a laugh. So please, for God's sake, take it as thus. Um, When we started this back in 2018, this caused rifts and arguments because the way we voted (laughs) on it before was we all came up with... Um, an option for each of the categories, and then argued about it till two of us <laughs> relented. Um, which, yeah, it was basically a brawl for all um, on each of the categories. But this year and last year, we each have taken turns in picking each category. So it is lucky Garth doesn't pick um, live next to us, or he would have shot on us very quickly. <laughs> um, so the categories for. Our Hall of Fame are as follows. So we start with Worker. Um, we have also got the um, Showman. We have got the Tag Team, the Woman, or Joshi, and the Celebrity Wing of the Hall of Fame. Um, far more precision than the WWE one because it will never contain Drew fucking Carey. <laughs> so... Um, just to give you an idea of some of the people that are already in the Podmania Hall of Fame, we have got um, Owen Hart, the Brain Busters, Masawa, um, 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 the Legion of Doom, Chris Jericho, Macho Man, Randy Savage, AJ Lee, Sensational Sherry. All these people already reside in our Hall of Fame, and they will be joined by the following people. So, it was my choice for worker this year. Um, so... I went for Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, Not just because he's one of, if not the best in-ring technician of the previous decade, certainly. Um, He carried New Japan on his back for many years when New Japan was in a very dark time. He put on stellar match after stellar match after stellar match and is a superstar of Japanese pro wrestling. There's nothing I can say about Hiroshi Tanahashi that hasn't already been said by other people. The man is 
I don't throw this phrase around too often because it is very, it's a ridiculous statement really, but the man is a wrestling god. Like he, the stuff that he can do is just tremendous. And even now at, you know, age 148, the man is still putting on stellar matches. I mean, his match with Naito in the G1 this year was absolutely tremendous. Um, But yeah. He still looks amazing as well. Honestly, I've I've never looked like that. Never. I mean, <laughs> he um he posted a photo which was hilarious on his Twitter of oh I'm looking a bit fat and his fat picture is my target <laughs> picture. <laughs> Have you seen a picture of him just in a um apron? Because let me tell you, that's my screensaver. <laughs> <laughs> Just a cheeky little turn round with a finger on his lips. Yeah, um, yeah so... Um, he also likes getting his ass out. Have you ever seen his match with Billy Gunn? Oh, Jesus. God. The, yeah, Billy Gunn web... likes to get his ass out, doesn't he? Yeah, they both got their ass out. It was quite the time. Yeah. It's because he's um, <laughs> Like, no one asked him to. Um, yeah, Tanahashi is an amazing pick. He's looked the best of most generations in BI and said, I'm better. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, like... Well, he's been around for, what, three generations of New Japan talent now? Mm-hmm. Like, when he was a young lion, when he was ace, and now. And he was top of the hill each time, because he's so fucking good. The and... fact that he wrestled for, like, what was it, like, almost two years, like, injured? Yeah, Cause... it's insane. And he it wrestled well, injured. And what's amazing mm-hmm. is, he, no matter what division he's in, he doesn't take it as demotion. He takes it in a stride and says, right, I'm going to make this the best division. Like, tag team's been better than it's been since I've started watching under him this year. Um, his world title runs are legendary for a reason. His IC title run was great. I think if you put the Never belt on him, he would change his style enough to do that. He's one of those people who can adapt to his opponents so well. Like, name someone on the New Japan roster, he can have a five-star classic with him. Easy. Toriano. <laughs> Toriano did actually get a title shot under... In his in his like big legendary reign because they ran out of challenges, so him mm. and Yujiro were two of the last challenges that Tanahashi had in that reign. <laughs> so yeah, without further ado, we are inducting Hiroshi Tanahashi into the Podmania Hall of Fame class of 2020. Um, we'll move on then to Showman and Chris. This was your pick, so tell us a little bit about the Showman this year um yes it's charlotte no it's not charlotte Blair. it's rick flair um because <laughs> this is the year i finally understood rick flair i watched a lot of stuff from 1989 just randomly early in the year and oh my god rick flair is just fucking incredible that year alone would get him in but he's just incredible he doesn't do anything like in terms of like a move set or athleticism. He's not that special. Like, he just does normal shit. But he just grabs you. He grabs your attention so much. And he does very simple things to draw you in, but he does them. Because the thing is, if you watch two Ric Flair matches next to each other, they're definitely not the same, but he always does the flop. He never hits a top rope move. He <laughs> always... um, And it's, he's always... Like, which I think is what you need when you're a heel like him. Hulk Hogan, take fucking notes. Um, you always need to be slightly beatable 
but always squeak away with a win without and it's that's hard to do without either burying yourself or your opponent, but he managed it. And not just that, he's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Like um, that Jay Lethal segment oh, in TNA. Honestly, that and the um, that Jay Lethal one and the McFoley ones in TNA were just yeah, fucking gold. Amazing. And, and this is like 60-odd-year-old Ric Flair yeah, and still doing not, it. Last thing, his last match in WWE was one of his best against Michaels. And um, But... Like the, the favorite line I heard about Ric Flair, I only found about this year when Rob brought it up, which was saying to Randy Orton, "You are a virgin of the business, and do you know how many virgins I've made bleed?" Tremendous, <laughs> fucking like, tremendous. He he can he can just fit into any role to the point where I think he got a world title ma- um, shot in his sixties, and no one questioned it <laughs> because pleasant. Yeah, and. It's a shame because I think people sort of looking at look at him as a bit of a joke nowadays, especially people my my age, just because of how long he held on, how he sort of lived to become a joke, especially in like TNA and shit. But like you go back and watch some of his early AC stuff, and like some of that shit, like there's only so there's not many people nowadays who can do so much with so little with Flair. Yeah, think of would be like maybe the Miz, but he fucking sucks, and like maybe Kenta Miyahara. Like, he can sort of be in that bracket where he doesn't do anything special. Beep, 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 beep. Right, fucking... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um... um, He doesn't do anything... Well, he doesn't do anything special, but, like, his timing, his crowd control, just everything about it is... Like, if this is a music terms, as weird as the sounds, it's Liam Gallagher, where there's nothing technically impressive about him. But, but there's just he's just one there. of the best performers ever. There's just it's like and he always Towards makes it. the other person look good. Always. Like Flair always seems to manage to not like you say he's beatable, but he's never even when he wins, it always seems like he wins in spite of the stuff he does in the match. It's always like it's, it's like a smash and grab sort of thing. Because he's the dirt, like the dirtiest player, but yeah, I, yeah, just as the term showman, just phenomenal. It's, I mean, we all know about his promos, amazing. I, in my eye, it's great. I miss, <laughs> I, I missed peak flair and. I'm, I'll always regret that because you know Someone's when I <laughs> came when I came into wrestling, it was all about Flair being sort of underling of Triple H, um, and and I didn't really get to see Flair in his in all his regalia until much much afterwards. And by that point, he was a man hanging on desperately to wrestling till well past when he should have done. You know, if he'd have held on to just WrestleMania 24 and gone out on that perfect moment, then perhaps we'd have thought about him differently. But for what he was, for what he did, for what he embodied, you know, the man was a rock and roll superstar. Um, the likes of which wrestling had seen through various incarnations, but 
he was the guy. He was the man. And yeah, he was tremendous. He really, really was. And you're right, Garth and Chris. He he put on great matches where he made other people look fantastic because he used to just beal himself around the fucking ring for them. It didn't matter whether <laughs> it made sense or not. The guy would sell like an octopus in a washing machine. He'd be fucking fantastic. Um, and I agree. I think he's a tremendous addition to the Podmania Hall of Fame. So congratulations to Ric Flair, who was inducted as our showman. We move on to woman slash Joshi, and this was Garth's choice. So, Garth, who are you inducting this year? It was a tough choice, um, but I've gone for the fantastic Gail Kim. Um, mostly because she's really the first... People will probably argue Lita and or... Trish, but I would say Gail Kim was the first one who really put women's wrestling, proper wrestling, out there. Um, you had other people who sort of skirted with it, like sort of um, like a Lundra Blaze and stuff like that. But uh, Gail Kim was the first one that really sort of she was a wrestler first, rather than that was a secondary part of the the sort of character. Um, and she proved that she wasn't interested in being a diva or whatever WD wanted when she just left them and they'd offered her apparently quite a lucrative contract. And she said, no, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to TNA, which was just like an upcoming country at the, uh, company at the time, to wrestle. And then you saw the likes of Victorian stuff follow Mickey James because they wanted to wrestle. And they made the right choice because Gail Kim went there and put on some... At the time when, in the other company, the big company, they were doing bra and panty matches and fucking pillow fights, she was putting on stellar matches with the likes of Awesome Kong, um, people like Roxy and people like that, like proper proper matches that at the time was unheard of from a woman's sort of perspective, like woman's sort of side of wrestling. Um, and then it showed because WWE basically begged her to come back. She went back. She had a bit of a run. They fucked her off again. She went back to TNA, where she retired. And, I mean, she came back again because she loves wrestling. That's the thing. It's like, and it's, some some of the people leave and they come back because they love the money or they, they love the fame, but she did it because she loves wrestling. And it's, it's hard to, I think it's hard to quantify how much she probably inspired quite a lot of the women now. Um, maybe without even realizing that they were inspired because there were so few people to look up to until that point. So, I think Gil Kim fully deserves a spot. Um, yeah, welcome to the Women's Hall of Fame, Chris. Anything to add? Um, no, she's fucking fantastic and. Seriously, like, I don't understand people who haven't went out of the way to see the Awesome Kong matches. Yeah, it's weird, because, like, they maybe don't hold up as much today with, like, the amazing revolution that women's wrestling had in WWE especially. But, like, when you put yourself in the context of the time and what WWE was doing, the fact that they were even, like, putting on, like, properly well-made matches is incredible. Especially, even more incredible when you consider the fact that Vince Russo was fucking booking it. Mm -hmm. And he hates women. (laughs) 
<laughs> when you compare what Gail Kim was doing in TNA at the exact same time that WWE were producing the first ever Diva search, mm. that speaks volumes. And yeah. it speaks volumes as to why the TNA knockouts division was light years ahead of the WWE Divas division for so well, that long. Was, that, that TNA women's division was the real, the first women's revolution in wrestling. Absolutely. Well, no, it can't have been Garth because Stephanie McMahon invented women. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> so, can we just, can we just, please? I mean, just sorry about put, that. Put some respect Attempt to call on it. By God. <laughs> but no, in in all seriousness, you're absolutely right. The TNA Knockouts division at that time was the 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 division for women, um, and it did it put the it put the WWE women's division to shame. I mean, you look at WWE's women division around that time, you know. She seemed like a nice enough person, but Christy Hemi, really? Mm. I mean, for God's sake. I mean, lay cool. They're probably the best thing to come out of that sort of era, aside from the Bella Twins. And they took a lot, a lot of getting... I mean, Gillian Hall, for God's sake. (laughs) There, There was some shit they had to wade through, and it's no wonder that Gail Kim made a name for herself in TNA because she wanted to wrestle. You know, she didn't want to just get down to her pants and hit someone with a pillow. And fair play to her for that. So, yeah, Gail Kim, welcome to the Podmania Hall of Fame. Um, Chris, you are our tag team. Quite the fat joke, Jesus Christ. I know I put a bit of holiday (laughs) weight, but there's no need. There's no fucking need. Oh, right, 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 okay. Um, So... (laughs) You two don't know who I've picked yet. Can I have a guess? No. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, first, is it Western or Eastern? Uh, I'm not giving you clues. You said you're going to guess. Just okay. guess, bitch. Is it Holy Demon Army? No, no, it's not Holy Demon Army. Is it Miracle Violet? I, <laughs> I, consi- I did consider it, but Van Garth would sort of just be sitting in the corner not knowing what to fucking say for the next... Is it too like, cool? Um, it's like yeah. more sweet um, that's <laughs> <laughs> um, but my pick is possibly controversial it's not too cool shut the fuck up um, <laughs> it's possibly controversial considering because we only like pick one for each person a year that we like it's it does end up with maybe people um, things that are more legendary end up in there after but in terms of who I'd want to put in again Controversial Young Bucks because of this. It's it's a personal reason because like they're the ones that sort of opened my mind to how good tag wrestling could be when I was like a young teenager. I saw them when I was like fourteen, fifteen. It's like oh my god, <laughs> like they blew my fucking mind. Like and I saw like people like mostly machine guns before that, but I didn't quite comprehend like how good they were. But when I first saw Young Bucks, I'm like. Holy shit. And when you see like the myriad of places they've worked because of how the Indies were in the mid 2000s, they worked absolutely fucking everywhere. And there's like, they show continuous growth. And like it or not, they have left, they have changed the business in the past couple of years just thanks to A, their business sense and B, just how, how, how great they are at that. 
tag team wrestling, but also how sort of <coughs> um, giving they are. Like they've put over so many young tag teams just on AEW TV, let alone in like Ring of Honor or in New Japan or in PWG. And it's weird because like there's two distinct sides of the Young Bucks. So there's a bit that Jim Cornette seems to think is the only side of the Young Bucks, and that's like the flippy shit fun times. But then, like, when they get serious, they get really serious, like the Evil and Sonata matches from a couple of years ago, where, like, they were properly selling that fucking knee. And and then you look at some of the AEW performances for doing all that again, like the FTR match for um, the Hangman Omega match, the, um, Pet, the Lucha Brothers match. You could make an argue, like, that's a life, most people's lifetime of great work condensed into a year. And that's not even counting like their feuds with the Hardys, their feuds with the Motor City Machine Guns, their junior stuff in Japan with like Red Dragon and um, the Briscoes in Ring of Honor and the Rascals actually in PWG. If you haven't seen their match with the Rascals in PWG, it's fucking incredible. And just, yeah, I, I like, I like Young Bucks are the first people who came into mind and I tried my hardest because I knew it's not, I know it's not the, most like especially since we're still still going it's not the most popular of decisions probably but like i couldn't look i couldn't think of anyone else who would who i like more as a tag team for as long as i've liked them as a tag team goth do you agree with smarky mcsmarkson fuck thanks <laughs> <laughs> you pick you know what? <laughs> come in here induct the fucking young bucks <laughs> This is Get fucking out outrageous. Sit over your pipe. Get but, out of my. We don't accept the sort of thing in my house. I'll I'll, I'll agree because um, like whether or not I like them, there were there were one one of those ones for me that I like them and I hate them because I think as characters they're fucking awful. Like they're just I don't know. There's something really heelish about them, and I just don't. I can't understand what. But then again, they do put on incredible matches, and this is going to make me sound like the ultimate fucking smock or whatever. But I remember watching them the first time I saw them. Must have been about fucking fifteen or something when they turned up in TNA, and watching them, thinking this is the fucking future easily. Like this, the mo- them versus the Motor City Machine Guns and the Rock and Rave co- connection, uh, having these matches, uh, and I was like, oh. these, these are fucking incredible. Like, that was longer ago than you'd think. That was 2010. That's what I mean. And I mean, they must have been so young then. And they were called Generation Me at the time. So they were and obviously... Their second name was Buck. It's like yeah, Nick and Jeremy. Exactly. No, Max and Jeremy Buck. And then... Um, I remember... And then obviously they the, the went off and did the sort of Japan thing. And... Yeah. And the, they're still doing it. And they're not... They're unwavering on what they want to do with the business, which is sort of admirable. Um, and I think I would be surprised if they weren't the catalyst and the reason why AEW happened. Because well, there's they've been, a reason. They've been quite entrepreneurial anyway, aren't they? They've always been sort of that one step ahead. I mean, they sort of did all the merchandise thing before yeah, anyone else. They, they started YouTube vlogging before everyone else did. They started. Yeah. Like and um, 
the nineties nostalgia train before that properly got going. Bullet Club were doing that, and then like I know Bullet Club, like people keep saying like the Devitt era was better before, and the Bucks came in at the tail end of that. But the Bucks were like the big reason that shit took yeah. off worldwide. They're very like, old. So you, you, you could like part of the reason I watched <coughs> Wrestle Kingdom Nine was because the Young Bucks were on it. It's like Bam and AJ Styles. Yeah. That's what got me into New Japan, and I, I know that's what got a few of my friends into New Japan as well. They are very much. Hardy-esque as well in their sort of love of doing what they want to do. Like Matt Hardy's always done what he wants to do, and most of the time, I think that's why he's gravitated towards the Unbuck so much since like 2017 because we did shit in Ring of Honor as well. Well, they've done they've followed the same path because I mean the Hardys set up their own wrestling promotion, so did the the Young Bucks to get their degrees. Well, yeah, Um, but I think nah, I'm. I'm happy for them to go in because they they have carved their own path and they've, like you say, they have changed wrestling. So yeah, fair good shout, Rob. See, he was gonna, he wanted to keep calling me a smart, but you've made some really good points. No, I still think you're a fucking smart. Um, I mean, was that ever in question? <laughs> you had a starting podcast with me. Shut the fuck up. Mm. I the Young Bucks are the epitome of show of that DIY attitude. And I think even though, you know, they are an interesting choice to put into the Hall of Fame, you've got to remember what they have actually achieved in a ridiculously short amount of time. They've done what they've been able to do, become one of the household names, if not arguably the household name of tag team wrestling, without, up until the formation of All Elite Wrestling, without joining WWE, which is just, it's unheard of. You know, the vast majorities of the biggest tag teams, you look at other inductees into the Hall of Fame, the Brainbusters, uh, the Legion of Doom, have all gone through the WWE system, and they've held true to their to their values. They didn't want to join that promotion and they haven't joined that promotion. And They don't bury it either. That's what's weird. That's what sort of astounds me with them because t- when we talked about, because before, like right before AEW, WWE offered them contracts and like they were very polite about it. It's like they offered us a decent amount of money, but like we told them we're just, that's just not what we want. It's not like when Titsy United had a WWE um, tryout and he just didn't turn up. He just mm. left them at dinner. <laughs> Left them with the bill. <laughs> yeah, no, that's like, like they they invited him to dinner and he didn't turn up. Amazing. Um, yeah, I I have no problem with them being inducted. Um, they've done tremendous work in the tag team scene. So yeah, absolutely fine with me. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, the tag team inductees to the Podmania Hall of Fame, possibly controversially. Are the young books? Which, if anyone has a trouble with me, that's at the Garth Berg. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will set our pet Garth on you. Um, and finally, that leaves us with our last category, um, and that is the celebrity wing. So, Garth, this was your choice. Celebrity wing, please. Well, sometimes girls just want to have fun. Um. <laughs> And this girl is going in. It's Cindy Lauper. I did not. I did not. I was not prepared for you to say those words. 
Amazing. Um, yeah, Cindy Lauper. Um, one of the first people at WrestleMania, one of the first legitimately megastars, as she was at the time, to sort of pin a hat on this pretty... It was still quite a sort of... Although it was, a, it was a, the biggest promotion, it was still not like a sort of household thing. It was still selling tickets. Um, she was there to get people interested in the pay-per-view aspect, and it worked, obviously, so like other people, like Muhammad Ali and stuff, but she added that whole... She was the pop star. She was the young side, the injection of youth, to bring in that demographic um, at the time. And she went all in because she loved wrestling as well. She was a wrestling fan. Um, she, Like you say, she went all in. The fact that she did the WrestleMania thing and she went back again and the video for Goonies Are Good Enough has randomly fucking a bunch of wrestlers. Is it a little battle in that one? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> he's, he's one of the main guys. Um, like the the Sheik, uh, Roddy Piper. I can't, I can't remember who else is in there, but they're just randomly in this video. And it's because she built up such a good rapport with them. Um, and apparently she, she still follows them and is still a sort of, not like an unofficial ambassador for it. Um, like if you if you um, see any of our sort of social media stuff, she's always around about the time of WrestleMania stuff. She's still always putting stuff out there. Um, so yeah, I think for what for the enthusiasm of what she sort of did in the early years of wrestling to get it to that next step to get it out there to people who might not have been interested, I think um, she deserves a lot of credit for it. And I mean the fact that at the time she was a huge star as well. She didn't necessarily need to do that sort of thing. It wasn't for the money. She did because she She wasn't Mr. T, is what you said. Well, she was still a big star at the time. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was, it was a good endorsement for, for that side of things to get like a sort of a musician, like a working musician involved and look what happened down the line. Fred Durst, (laughs) <laughs> uh, WWE's favourite band in the whole world <laughs> the important question here is though what is everyone's favourite Cindy Lauper song oh girls just want to have fun <coughs> I, I was going to say time after time that's a good song as well time after time Goonies are good enough. It's amazing. <laughs> Again, I wasn't prepared for for both words to come out your mouth. Anything to add, Chris? Um, it's good enough. It's weird. We're gonna eventually run out of celebrities and put Bob Sapp in there or something. Uh, Fucking hope but, not. Jesus. I mean, like, if he's good enough for the IWGP Championship, he's definitely not good enough for our Hall of Fame. Um. Yeah, it's a it's a good pick. She's definitely been like a good ambassador for wrestling. It's always been weird when she turns up though, because we always got Piper involved. Like she, <laughs> like she got involved in that whole Legends and Heath Slater thing, and like smashed a picture over his head. It was weird. Mm-hmm. 
but like yeah like you can tell like she was actually enjoying her time when she turned up um it wasn't like when the muppets turned up on raw like she actually felt like she wanted to be there um <laughs> yeah can't complain with the pick i have no real strong feelings either way about the celebrity wing but yeah well with that ladies and gentlemen we are inducting cindy lauper into the Podmania hall of fame for her services to the rock and wrestling connection um and with that ladies and gentlemen we will end our podcast there we have gone a long time there so we apologize for that um in the meantime go and subscribe and check out the podcast wherever you get your podcasts it really does help us if you leave a comment five star review anything like that um you can find the podcast on the website www.podmania.co.uk you can check out all our archived episodes and the hall of fame and uh end of year awards from all previous years um you can check out the match ratings everything like that you can find us on twitter at at podmania uh, the facebook group podmania podcasts uh, you can talk to me on twitter at at real rob goodwin um garth where can they find you at the garthberg and christopher um they can find me on youtube christopher Bryan. <laughs> Dick. i don't do twitter I don't do Twitter. What else? What the oh fuck else God. am I meant to do? Trying play? to get himself over. Just trying to get himself <laughs> over. It's I, I, am, I am the second most over person on this podcast after Gaff. Yes. Hard to disagree. Hard to disagree. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you have a wonderful new year. We hope 2021 brings you a damn sight more than this crock of shit has given you. Um, and we'll be back in the new year with our jo- uh, Brody Lee special. So please check that out. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. You've been listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podmania, Facebook at Podmania Podcasts, and YouTube and Instagram at RealPodmania. And check out the website, podmania.co.uk. Until next time, wrestling fans. Wrestling fans.